Hello and welcome to the Coming Out of the Basement podcast. I'm your host, Carlos. With me is your host, Ben. And with us is your host, JJ. And we're back with part two of our We're Still Alive episodes. <laughs> I like that. Why didn't we call that the first episode? Why did you bring that up yeah. in the first episode? I don't know. We can edit it. Out. We can edit it in the first episode. <laughs> that will be the, uh, the title of the two episodes. We're Still Alive Part 1 and We're Still Alive Part 2. I'm not assuming there's just two parts, man. Uh, <laughs> one other place I forgot to mention that occasionally you can find us. So I haven't really heard from the network interface guys in a while. But one of the other groups that they had been working with is was someone uh, who goes by the name of Fadari. Uh, Fadari and Whizbang were blogging with the network interface, and she actually set up a Facebook page called Steel Wool Gaming, uh, where I've been posting uh, our coming out of the basement uh, when we do that. So you can also find us over on Steel Wool Gaming occasionally. So uh, another place to look. Do you think Good. I should put the network interface like little music in front again? Because, I mean, we haven't heard from those guys in I don't know how long. It's been a while, and they haven't podcasted in a while either, so I don't know. I think they haven't podcasted yeah. longer than we have, right? It's, it's That's been, astonishing. Yeah, so I don't know. Because we, we've been, I, I, you know, every time I cut the episode, I've been putting that in there like they requested. I haven't heard hide nor hair from them. I'm thinking I'll skip it this time. Okay, well, we'll see. Maybe, maybe they'll notice. That would be interesting. If they I do, know. then... Just put it in there. I'll be like, <laughs> well, that depends if they listen to this episode then. They'll be like, because you know, I could just like feign like, oh, I forgot. But, you know, if they listen to the episode, they'll be like, we know that you purposely didn't do it. I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, well then what you do is you go back and you re-edit the episode. and, just, and never, See, it was and always in there. It. That's right. Exactly. And, of course, they, they would never think of downloading this episode. So it'll be no. the perfect crime. It's no. <laughs> dubious. Exactly. So yeah, we were just talking about Wildstar, the video game, which is, looks like it's going to be a very promising game. I'm looking forward to it. I really don't know what I'm going to buy until then, but I think yeah, I've just been buying my time until that comes out. Like I'm playing Batman Arkham City again. I'm playing Fallout 3 again. Not really, you know. Um, here's one that we're all playing: uh, Shadowrun. Yeah. So yes. that Kickstarter has completed, and they've released the game. Yes. It's not as good as I was hoping, but it's still solid. Oh my god, I love it. It is my favorite game that has come out this year. Really? Wow. Really? Yes. So what do you I love, love about this it? Game. Uh, one, I, it, it's, it's an old school RPG in a lot of different ways. Um, I played a lot of Shadowrun, the RPG, uh, when I was younger. I don't know if either of you did. Um, so I have, uh, a, a somewhat different relationship to it than, than other people might have. I enjoy the gameplay. It is very, like, Baldur's Gate style gameplay in a lot of ways. It has the the race options, it has the class options, it has you know the dialogue kind of things that that go on. Um, there are a ton, a ton of uh, Easter eggs and hints and stuff and things that refer back to the old Shadowrun modules and games in this in this first playthrough in the in at least this base game. Um, I've actually so what didn't come out on the twenty fifth, right? Mm-hmm. I've beaten it. Uh, and that's, that is rare that I will one, play a game, play a game that's not online and play a game for any length of time because I just don't have time. Yeah, I've, I've, I went ahead and, and beat the game in its entirety already. And it's a short game, so that's not like a lot. That's not necessarily saying a lot, but it's still, you know, more than 10 hours. I was gonna um, blast you with the hypocrite title because you and I both got after the, um, Undead Labs people for not including the multiplayer content for their, uh, State of Decay game. Right? Mm-hmm. 
So I blasted for him, and then you supported it by saying, you know, I only spent money on yeah, multiplayer exactly. games. No, it's true. That is pretty much the truth. I, I That is absolutely true. I almost never play... Uh, not, in fact, every other game that I have on my list, uh, today is, has at least a multiplier component, except for this one. Although one might be coming, which I really hope it does. So, my only beef with the game, and I haven't beat it yet, but, but, it seems, uh, a little short. Yes. Right? No, it is. It is a short, it is a relatively short game. Which I find kind of surprising, because they built in the tools to make your own scenarios and stuff like that. So they have, a pretty decent, like, developer's kit for building your own stories and stuff, so I'm just kind of surprised that the the main story itself is to, so short. Yeah, and uh, it's coming out pretty soon. Uh, the next, the first DLC, I should say, is coming out very soon. I think it's called the Berlin DLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's coming out on Steam only. Uh, one of the things, and one of the beefs I do have with the game, is that they, you know, during the Kickstarter, they promised that it was going to be DRM-free and all these other kinds of stuff, and of course, then they went and released it on Steam. Which is DRM required. So, uh, they, they, um, they worked with them a little bit by, they, they actually, if you back the Kickstarter, you can go to their website and you can download a DRM free version, a completely DRM free version, you can download it, you can note it, whatever. However, you're not getting any of the DLC with that, which nope. is, or except for the Berlin mm-hmm. one, the, except for the very first one, but none of the other DLC, it's all gonna be Steam based. That I don't like about the company. I think that was, uh, I think that was a bait and switch, and I think that the criticism that they gotten about the DRM free stuff is legitimate. Um, I, I find that very problematic. And some of that is their fault, and some of that apparently also is related to the way that companies have to release things on Steam. Uh, but I don't know much about that. It's not being privy to those contracts. But, um, but, so I'm kind of disappointed in that. I resisted Steam as long as I could, but I, I, you know, mm-hmm. got Steam last year. And, uh, I, yeah, Steam is, is really a pretty incredible platform. I'm, you know, as, as a person who works a lot with digital archives, it worries me, the DRM and some of the stuff that happens with, uh, with Steam. And, you know, the uh, video we have at UT, we have one of the first video game archives. And so I get to see all of these kind of issues as they crop up. And this is going to be a nightmare in the future for archivists. But for a player right now, it's pretty cool. So we'll see mm-hmm. how that that handles out. But yeah, Shadowrun Returns. I mean, I I played Shadowrun when I was younger. I read the I read the books, the novels that came out. I, you know, I I bought various editions of Shadowrun, which is going to be one of my subjects later on because a new edition just came out. Uh but yeah, there's all kinds of great references to early Shadowrun stuff in this game all throughout the game. At the end, you know, you have the opportunity to play with some major players in the Shadowrun universe and meet some major players in the Shadowrun universe uh at towards the end of the game in particular. Um and I thought that was really well done. Um yeah, I just enjoyed the heck out of it. And really for the for one I thought they handled one of the so Shadowrun people don't know, I should probably say that, is kind of a cyberpunkish game that's been around for a while. Um, it, it, it combines magic and tech. It's a near future, uh, or yeah, relatively near future, like in, in a couple hundred years kind of thing. Um, that, uh, where basically magic has returned to the world as it does every so often, uh, in various cycles throughout history. And there's cybernetics and there's, you know, magic and there's shamanism and there's, uh, whatever. And, and you play the part of a shadow runner, basically someone who runs um, these kind of black bag or other types of, of spy type jobs because you're living in this world where all this stuff happens and it's, it's basically run by corporations, right? Corporations are the government, um, and so on and so on. 
And okay, here we go. So it, it takes place starting at 2050 in the first edition and the current editions. It's in 2075. They pushed the start date back a bit. But, uh, yeah. So it's, it's a very fun. I had a lot of fun with it playing it, uh, playing the video game. I enjoyed it. Um, I like the way they handled the matrix in this game. Have you gotten to that yet? No, I haven't gotten to the matrix yet. Mm-mm. So there's a there's this there's a, a type of character who are usually referred to as deckers and they jack into the matrix and you can run around and do stuff in in there. Um, on the tabletop side of things, it's always been a little bit clunky in some ways because you have a person who is playing a decker, someone who jacks in, and they're always almost always by themselves, right? Because not every mages are not going to be able to characters that are called physical adepts who use magic for like martial arts and stuff like that aren't going to be able to. So oftentimes it's like the decker goes and does his thing and everyone else in the party goes and do their thing. I've heard they've they've taken steps to try to address that in the um in the new version which which we which uh I don't have yet but I've read about it. Uh but in this game, uh because you know you control the entire party, you control all the different shadow runners, you flip back and forth between the matrix and real life and uh quote unquote. And uh no it's I think it was it was handled very well. I was very pleased with that. Hmm. Yeah and and I think it really proves the power of the Kickstarter model, right? Because had Kickstarter not funded this, it wouldn't have gotten made. Totally. Right? And so, and, and like I said, my only beef with it is it's a little short, but I completely agree. The the isometric view is very reminiscent of Boulder's Gate and Fallout and stuff like that. And the modern game developers have been sticking away from that, right? So we saw with, like, uh, the latest Fallout... Um, they did it, you know, first person. Right. And, and so, and the reason they did that is because they felt like the, those isometric views just didn't work anymore, right? It was too old school. There's not a market for it anymore. And obviously there is still a market for it. And, and they did a really good engine, a very versatile, very lean engine. It runs well. It runs efficiently. The graphics look, you know, better than I thought they were going to look, honestly. And, and mm-hmm. you're able to tell compelling stories and, and everything looks good on it. You know, like I said, my only problem is it's a bit short, but, you know, they're doing DLC, player content's gonna start flooding everywhere. So. Yeah, there's already player content out. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, right. it proves the Kickstarter model, right? And, yeah. and it's a solid entry into this, into the, uh, the whole system. And I think once they make it multiplayer, if they can make it multiplayer, when they make it multiplayer, I think that's, you know, it's something that could bring us together. So we could, oh, somebody somebody made this module or made this this adventure, we should all go do it together. That's one of the keys uh, right, to, to sustaining for games like this. If you can make it yeah. multiplayer, then it opens a lot of doors. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, that's the way that I played Neverwinter Nights. Uh, I, I play, And Baldur's Gate, actually, played in multiplayer. With Neverwinter Nights, you know, that came out when Holly lived in Japan, and we played that together. Uh, oh yeah, she was in Japan and I was in the U.S. And uh, yeah, no, I think I think it's a great a great system, and I hope they do come out with multiplayer because I I really love this game. So, so to kind of to to reiterate that, we all played you know Baldur's Gate one, Baldur's Gate two, Neverwinter's mm-hmm. Nights, Neverwinter's Nights two. You know, we played all those games together because they're all multiplayer. You know which one we didn't all play together that had a really solid engine and was really fun? Temple of Elemental Evil, right? Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. Yeah. That was a really solid game. One of the best interpretations of the D&D 3.5 engine, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they allowed you to ready to actions and do the move action, and they had the, yep. you know, the complete spell list. You can do crafting and stuff like that. All it was a really solid engine. It completely did the uh, Temple of Elemental Evil storyline. It did it really well. Everything was solid. No multiplayer. Nobody played it. 
Right? Yeah. And that's just kind of how it goes with those games. So I, I think for it to really hit that pinnacle, it, it'll once it gets multiplayer, it'll rocket through the uh, the reviews and everything. It'll do really well after that. Yeah, it's already doing really well, you know. But I, I think it'll hit the next tier, hit the next level. Right. So, all right. Any other? So I'll mention something. So speaking of Baldur's Gate, yes. uh, did you guys see the Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition came out? I have downloaded it. I have it ready to go. I'm just waiting for people to play with. So this is interesting. So I actually, I, I have it, but not on Steam, because I got it early on, uh, when it was, before it came on Steam. And recent, and, you know, they came out with new characters and some new dialogue. They rewrote everything. They added some new story stuff that you can purchase as DLC. Um, however, and they were started working on Baldur's Gate 2, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they started working on Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition 2. But then, last month, uh, Atari, something happened with Atari. And so, you know, you could get Baldur's Gate on the iPad early on, um, but not anymore. They pulled it. Atari basically got the game pulled from the iPad, and the development of Baldur's Gate 2 is uh, is postponed indefinitely. So uh, this is it was a company named Beamdog are the ones who have been working on it. Um, a guy that I've mentioned before, Dave Gross, who wrote Prince of Wolves and that stuff, mm-hmm. he was one of the authors, uh, one of the writers for uh, for Wallace Gate Enhanced Edition and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so uh, Beamdog or Atari, well, first it was an unnamed company due to contractual res- disputes, uh, stopped the release of uh, the game through Beamdog sources and from the from the uh, iOS store, from, from the App Store, and now it's only uh, being sold through Atari. So hmm. there's something very weird going on with it. Yeah, it's another one of those copyright issues. Right? It's it's the same problem they had with the Evil Dead remake because there was another group. They they were talking about how like Sam Raimi had said that he's never going to make another Evil Dead, so they were using that as like quote unquote. I think you and I've talked about this before, like evidence. Yeah, that we talked had, about it on the on, right. Yeah, but that was not the case here. I mean, the, the, no, the no, bar, no. But but yeah. it, it, it's it's just another like rights dispute at this point, right? Yes. You know it, who has is, who has distribution rights. Yeah, there's there's some kind of contractual uh, some contractual thing, which of course, since no one's party to the contract, no one really knows what the dispute is. Yeah. So uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's still uh, on Steam though, so you can still get the Baldur's Gate Enhanced Steam. Edition. Um, yes. And it doesn't use the normal like Steam multiplayer thing because it has to use the old like Baldur's Gate one. So you can actually still like do like direct like TCP connections and stuff like that. So. Yeah. I think like you and I could still like use uh, like play with our two different like versions and stuff like that because it doesn't. That'd be not... good because because I have it as well, but not through Steam. So yeah, you probably have the the GOG version, the good old games version. Yeah, I don't know which one I have. I I got it from uh, GameStop online purchases. So gotcha. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. yeah. So, so we'll yeah. we'll have to we'll have to give that a try. I'm interested to play that again. Yeah, me too. I'd like to give that a shot too. Uh, recently, I, so I mentioned I've been playing Defiance. I played Rift a bit, uh, a little bit in the last, uh, few months. Not a ton, you, but some. You and, and I have both been playing Rift a little bit. Yep. And, what's my, what's the best way I can put Rift? It's okay. Yes. <laughs> that's, I, I know that's not like a really, like, resounding review for it, but that's really the best I can say. It's okay. Here's my big beef with it. It's very uninspired. Right. Yes. The artwork, the models, it's all serviceable, but like all the models for all the player races look very sameish, right? Just different like 
heights and different tints for the skin tone, but that's about it. Um, and a lot of the different classes are very, like, they, there's four main classes of rogue, warrior, cleric, and wizard, and then they all have a bunch of, like, specialty classes. A lot of the specialty classes are very same-ish, too. Um, the animations are very kind of blah, very, you know, serviceable, but not inspired. A lot of the enemies are the same way. It's, it is an MMO that has good mechanics on the back end. They, they have good social mechanics, they have good leveling mechanics, and the crafting system's okay and everything, but it's all very blah. It, it, I mean, is your experience kind of the same, Carlos? Yeah, it's very, it's very similar. I like that you can customize within your class a lot. Um, you know, I like that you can experiment with all the different, uh, what they call them are souls, those subclasses for each of the main classes. Um, I like the group events. You know, there's a lot of group events in Rift, a lot of group events in Rift. You can level just by doing group events. Oh yeah. Which sometimes is a bad thing, because I outleveled my area really quickly doing group events. But, um, yeah, I, I would say that that is fair. Um, there's, it's, I mean, I, I don't see what makes it more compelling than like, wow, really, at this point is, is one of my, one of my issues. Cause, you know, some of those things wow is implemented also because those were good ideas. So, um, I don't know. It's, uh, if you, I'm going to play something, yeah. You know what kind of killed it for me is I, I joined the goon guild. Um, so. Okay, well there, you can stop right there. Yeah, oh, I know. That, that, that in and of itself, right? So the Something Awful guys have a, a pretty large presence there, and I'm, I'm, I've got a presence on Something Awful. I used to run, like, the most, like, D&D 4th Edition games in their, uh, tabletop section. I, I stopped all my 4th Edition games, so all, I had to kill, like, um, so I, I stopped my War of the Burning Sky thread, I stopped, I stopped my 18 thread, my, uh, uh, the, uh, the Labyrinth, uh, Hunger Games thread and my Walking Dead campaign. I stopped all the campaigns because I got a promotion at work that was kind of taking up a lot of my time and, and my wife is pregnant. That's taking up a lot of time. So I had to tell everyone like, alright, I'm, I'm done. But I'd like them, like, at, at one point I had the most campaigns going on in their, uh, in their, uh, tabletop gaming thread. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the community to, to a certain degree. So I joined the Goon Guild. And I joined as a cleric, right? I wanted to, you know, they were like, oh, we need more clerics, and I enjoy playing the support class, so I made a cleric, and I'm leveling up as a druid, but, you know, I'm, I have another build for my raid healing spec, right? And I was doing dungeon runs as a healer to kind of get some, you know, some uh, practice with it. And then they said, you know, anyone, you know, they had a bunch of people join as cleric, and they all said, you know, oh, um, anyone who's a cleric, um, in order to start raiding, you have to have uh, 400 hit rating. And I was like, What? And, and so, I, and I understand what the, the hit rating is, you know, your ability to hit, you know, creatures, you know, level, your level and higher. And I was like, I asked the, you know, some of the leaders, I was like, um, so just correct me if I'm wrong here, but why as a cleric do I need hit rating? I mean, I've, I've already done a lot of research and none of my, like, healing spells need any hit. And they said, oh, for when you, um, you have to run as off spec. And I was like, what do you mean run as off spec? I'm, I'm a cleric. That's what I heal. And they go, yeah, but, it's very rare that you do your your primary spec the entire raid because we're switching things around so much. Like only the tank ever really runs as there's one spec. You'll be expected to DPS also. And I was like, oh, I'm out. I I had no interest in DPSing with that character. It was like it was going to be so suboptimal for DPS. Right. I, I you know because when I do my I, I like to kind of focus on one specialty. So if I'm going to tank, I'm going to be an awesome tank. If I'm going to DPS, I'm going to be an awesome DPS. If I'm going to heal, I'm going to be an awesome heal. When I start having to split my attention like that. It really just kills it for me, and I got I got no desire. And and it was after that conversation I stopped playing. 
Because I was like, I don't want to, because I have to worry about, like, my healing gear, my healing spec, my, you know, the, the learn all that stuff. And then you tell me i got to learn, you know, get all the DPS gear gear, uh, gear and work on all that stuff, too? No, not, not, my, not, not my interest at that point. Yeah, I think, I think you made me nervous when you talked about Wildstar having the 40-man raids again, because I just, man, I don't. I don't want to be a part of that group anymore, you know? <laughs> well, I did that I did that in WoW and I just, you know, well, the the loot competition and everything else just gets to be another job and I don't that is not what I want for my gaming experience anymore. You you're absolutely right, but they've learned that lesson already in that they're going to have the same type of system uh that a lot of the other games have where you have the emblems and you can buy the gear based off of emblem drops and stuff like that. And they really presented a lot of these things in silos. Like if you like raiding, fine, do raiding and you can gear, gear uh, get gear off of raiding. You like little mm-hmm. five-man dungeons, fine, do five-man dungeons, get your gear off that. You like PVP arenas, Fine, do the arenas. You like battlegrounds, do battlegrounds. And so it really sounds like they're playing to everyone's silo. What you prefer to do, you'll be able to gear up based off of that preference, right? The reason that they included the 40-man raid is because they have a portion of the player populace who's just frothing at the mouth for stuff like that. So they feel like they have to add that content, but you don't have to do it to become the quote-unquote pinnacle of your character. That's good. I feel right. better now. Thank you. Does that make it more clear? Yeah, I'll, I'll sleep better tonight. And of course there'll be the elitists who are like, you know, yeah man, we killed the boss, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't mean anything. Right? It, it, it won't, it won't mean the same that it means in, um, like it used to mean like in, in WoW and stuff like that, right? Because right. They'll, there's gonna be other shit to do, right? Because in WoW, you won't have a house you can go play around with and make a Ferris wheel in the back. That's right? true. You know? That's that was really the only thing there was to do at that time. If you talk about vanilla, you know, this is before we even had like battlegrounds and shit like that. Oh no, the battlegrounds came a little later, I guess, like Alterac Valley and stuff like that. But late game, wow, there was so little to do. You really had just like raiding. That was it. Yeah, for the longest time it was just raiding, right? You were doing multi uh, molten core, and um, what was that dragon? I forget the dragon's name, but um, Anixia. Anixia, that's right. You you were we were just doing, you know. Anixia and, and, and uh, Molten Core, like, over and over and over again. Then Black Rock um, Spire came out, right? So we did that. I don't know how many thousands of times we did that, right? And right. then we started seeing the Battlegrounds come out, and then that kind of split the populace between PvP and PvE, right? So people who are really interested in PvP and getting those rewards, they started just doing Alteric Valley over and over and over again, Right, and then you know the raiders, you know, focused more on their stuff, and then we started seeing the weird Egyptian stuff come out, and that, you know, splintered the group off even more. Yeah. And then, and then you had the first expansion, and all that stuff you worked years to get was replaced by a little green, yep, new magical thing. It wasn't until Wrath of the Lich King that we saw them implement five-man dungeon runs that were quick and efficient that could introduce a loot table that you could gear up off of pretty efficiently, right, mm-hmm. and not have to kill yourself doing these horrible raids. They continued that in, um, in uh, no, they actually introduced that in the first one, but it, they, it, it didn't really get refined until Wrath of the Lich King. In Wrath of the Lich King, the little dungeon runs were really good. So I think a lot of these guys have come from, like, WoW, and they've come from other um, you know, MMOs, so I think they've learned that lesson already. I think WoW took a while to learn that lesson, but they eventually did. Hopefully they're coming into the genre having learned that lesson already. 
Let's hope so. Yeah. All right. Any other gaming news? Uh, I've been trying out Van Helsing recently. I've been playing that a bit. Have you seen that? The Incredible Adventures of Van Helsing? Yeah, not to be confused with the horrible Van Helsing movie with uh, Hugh Jackman, <laughs> who I love, but, you know, the, the movie is terrible. This is more of like a kind of a quasi-platform third-person shooter. No, it's actually a lot more like Diablo. Oh yeah yeah yeah, plays, yeah 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 you're right. It, it plays it plays a lot like Diablo, where you you know you 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 have a skill tree, although the skill tree is much better than you know Diablo three skill tree. Um, and you can go you know melee or ranged, and you have a ghost companion that follows you around and is sarcastic and stuff. It's actually a lot of fun. I actually enjoy it better than Diablo. Unfortunately, the multiplayer is kind of borked. It has multiplayer, but if you play multiplayer. It, it has a tendency to corrupt your stash, which is like your kind of shared loot, corrupt your saves, you know, so yeah. they, they have mm-hmm. some big problems with multiplayer right now. I think once they fix that, it'll be a much better game, or if you want to go and play it as a solo game, that's also very doable. Um, it is, but it is fun. It is, it seems like a really interesting, uh, you know, the bits that I have played have been pretty fun. So I got two comments on that. One, it's not hard to be better than Diablo 3, because Diablo 3 is pretty freaking terrible. <laughs> Two, we can finally talk about just briefly that Marvel game that was a Diablo clone. <laughs> and how Do we have to? Utterly freaking terrible that was. I know we touched on it briefly, but we couldn't really say much because it was still in beta and you and I were under NDA, but it's finally been released and it is absolutely just a hot freaking mess. Talk about <laughs> it's a hot mess. It is. It's a, it, it is uninspired. It is very blah. The it, it is just a bad game, is what it really amounts to. A bad, bad game. And I know they're not making much money off of it. I know it's got pretty terrible ratings. So, I mean, that's just my, my quick knee-jerk reaction. Carlos, any, any, any comments from you on that? I, you know, there's a lot of games that do the um, microtransaction kind of model, right? But this game, I mean, you have 18 daredevils running around because that's one of the only free ones you have, you know, free characters you can play, and they all look the same, and you can, you know, it's so expensive to do anything that is not remotely the same as someone else, and I think for me that, you know, oh look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Daredevil, and there's, you know, Spider-Man, and that's, and there's the Scarlet Witch, and that's what everyone is. Alright, yep. there's nothing else. So you're, you go to the screen, and there's like, you know, 15 of the same character all trying to beat up the bad guy, and you know, the, the leveling system wasn't all that interesting. Uh, getting new, getting new powers didn't really change the way anything works. You know, they, it was just, it was... They had know. a terrible spec tree. The spec tree was a joke. Yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, it was so bad. So, um, you know, and then they didn't really have time to change anything. Nope. Between release and 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 a lot of the, those things, so release ended up being basically the same way. I took a look uh, when when the game was released, and it, they I don't know what the heck happened. They just well, it's just there's no. Go ahead. Here's the thing: they thought it was going to be as popular as Marvel Ultimate Alliance, but there was a fundamental difference between those games. Marvel Ultimate Alliance was done in the vein of Gauntlet, right? Um, so it's a very gauntlet style, style game, right? And, and that, uh, in, in, in that game, even if you're like a Spider-Man, you know, you're not just running around. You have an option to kind of web-sling around the place. If you're a flyer like Thor or Iron Man, you can actually fly in Marvel Ultimate Alliance, right? You know, it doesn't really get you much, but you can still do it, and it's kind of cool from a graphical perspective, right? 
Um, and so they were hoping that it would be kind of like that, but they didn't implement anything like that. So all the characters are, are you know, anchored to the ground, so everyone runs around, and you're like, why the hell is Thor running around trying to beat up right. Venom and stuff like that? Or, so, or, or Iron Man, right? Yeah, exactly. None, so, of them can, none of them can fly. They have a terrible microtransaction business model. They charge way too much for characters, right, and, and they don't give you enough free ones. It, it's all just, you know... It doesn't get you. Don't get a sense of wonder and joy out of it. You get a sense of someone's trying to do a money grab. Spider Man, your web fluid is running out. Pay two dollars to reload your web centers. <laughs> so, so that made me sad because yeah, because yeah, Ultimate Alliance was fun, but it's like they took all the bad things from Ultimate Alliance and left out a lot of the good things from Ultimate Alliance. Oh, absolutely. And made that game. Absolutely. I so. watched. I watched BJ play about five minutes of it, and I was like, "Okay, let's let's go do something else. This is boring, oh, yeah. even watching." Yeah, it was it was pretty freaking bad. So, um, any other game news? Mm, those are the ones that I had listed. All right, next subject. What's our next topic? What would up? you like our next topic to me? Do do we need to hit up Kickstarter? We can, because yeah, there's let's, been lots of stuff that's happened with Kickstarter recently. Let's go ahead and hit up Kickstarter then. Kickstarter. What would you like to talk about first? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm tr- okay, my wife gives me a lot of crap for like steamrolling you too much during the uh, the podcast, so I'm trying to open it up for you, Carlos. Okay. Well, I don't. So uh, trying to open I'll it up to give you the reins. Well, see, see, I'm trying to log into Kickstarter, so I'm stalling. Is what's oh, happening. okay. <laughs> That's when you type me on Skype and you're like, you know, give me the little like, you know, elongate thing, the stretch it out uh, uh, thing. That's that's the 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 penalties for doing this over Skype. You don't get to do those little like um, unseen signals. Uh, <laughs> so, but uh, so I'll go ahead. Well, I was just going to say we um, I donated to the Zach Braff one. The uh, wish oh, yeah. you were here. I wanted to get. I got. Uh, I, I donated to the one to get tickets for his Austin premiere because I really wanted to meet him also. So um, I, that's one of the ones that I'm really looking forward to. I mean, I loved Garden State. I know Beck didn't like it because it's a little bit too cerebral, but I loved Garden State. I think he's a great director and a great actor. So that's one of the ones I'm looking forward to that I donated to somewhat recently. So recently, I will mention that I was on a Kickstarter. I was I was three stretch goals on a particular Kickstarter. Um, you were so stretch goals? I thought you were just yeah. I was two. well. I was two. Well, okay. I was named in two stretch goals, and I ended up doing a third one as well. Wow, is what is what ended up happening. So uh, you know, I've done stuff with Cobalt Press before. I contributed to the Midgard campaign setting and the. Uh, Midgard best area, best area for Pathfinders, and I'm pretty active on the Kickstarter, on the sorry Kickstarter, on the Kobold forums, and do stuff you know with 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 those guys a lot. And they had um, they they use something called Open Design, right? That's the name of their their limited liability corporation. Is was Open Design, now it's Kobold Press, but it's a lot of it is kind of crowdsourced, you know, it's crowdsourced game making a lot of times, and a lot of it is also crowdsourced uh, game building in itself. It's not just necessarily funding, but you can also contribute to the game development, and that's kind of how I got involved. Um, so what uh, what happened with this one is they did a, a, a Kickstarter for Deep Magic, which is the first thing it was doing, if they had just made the Kickstarter goal, it was collecting all the different spells for Pathfinder and all the different products they put up and putting it all in like one easy to access, pretty nifty book, right? That was their first thing. And it blew past that, uh, goal in within, uh, like six hours. It was really, really fast. So 
Can I bring up stretch goals? Go ahead. I, I just have one question. Wouldn't that book almost instantly be out of date since, like, as soon as it's published, new spells will come out that aren't in that book? Sure. But, okay. uh, it would, it would, uh, it would certainly make things a lot easier. Okay. Because even in the Midgard campaign setting book itself, the spells are not necessarily indexed and easy to find. And gotcha. there's a lot of different st- books at this point. So it's at least a good starting point for at the time. Gotcha. So the, uh, what happened after that is they started adding stretch goals. And the stretch goals were things like, um, you know, the first one was, and, and these stretch goals are pretty impressive. So Amanda Harmon, who has, has written stuff for Paizo, was the editor for Deep Magic. And, you know, it's got Wolfgang Bauer, who owns Kobold Press and, you know, worked for Watsi and does stuff for Paizo also. Ben McFarland, who, uh, who also wrote for stuff, uh, who, who writes for a lot of different things, Ars Magica and Kobold Press and, and whatever. And all, and the, the stretch goals started being really impressive. You had Tim Connors, who's written for Paizo, Jason Bullman, who's the lead designer for Pathfinder. Uh, Ed Greenwood, of course, who created the Forgotten Realms and does all kinds of writing. Um, Stephen Radley McFarlane, who works for Paizo. Amber Scott, who's done freelances for Paizo. All these people. Richard Pett, you know, just these really famous names. And then you get to some people that you haven't, maybe not have, haven't heard as much. Um, mm. one of which being me, right? So I was the, uh, 40, the, what was it? $46,000 stretch goal. Uh, which was for expanded dragon magic because I wrote a lot of the dragon magic in the original Midgard campaign setting and that made pretty quickly. Um, and I got involved with this. I sent him a message saying, Hey, congratulations. Kickstarter is going really well. Um, you know, let me know if, if you need any help with anything. It's like, well, you know, you, you want to pitch some stuff? I said, sure. So I pitched, you know, dragon magic and he liked that a lot. And then I pitched, um, time magic, which was something that someone had mentioned before and that one got accepted too. And so I ended up writing, writing, uh, those as well and um uh, time magic was the eighty one thousand dollar stretch goal so i gotten that one made pretty easily also so um then at the very end so it, it ended up having um like a hundred and twenty six thousand dollars is what it ended up making which is pretty darn impressive for for you know this third party um pathfinder pathfinder book um and at the end he added a lot of different stretch goals just almost all of which made uh that he didn't necessarily have uh writers for at that time and so i turned all my stuff in you know on time and, and got everything in so he's like hey are you interested in any of these and i said sure so i'm working on a dwarven ring and reaver magic right now um which I'll, I'll have that turned over by the end of the week but it's been really interesting to see how you know the kickstarter works and how all you know all these things get written and and everything so it's been pretty fun um that product will be you know the kickstarter's done but it will be available for sale you know any place you buy pathfinder stuff probably more than likely I'm so jealous. I, I, I want to, I mean, I, I know it, it, like I couldn't make a career out of it, but I, I'd, I'd love to get into writing RPG stuff. Few people can make a career out of it, as it turns out, it looks like. I mean, a lot of people who are, are fairly big names, you know, in writing these things, they have full-time jobs outside of this. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, I'm, so I'm, not quitting I mean. my, I'm not quitting my day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But, yeah, no, I, I'm getting paid for this, and, you know, that's awesome. So That's why I'm trying to convince you to write a book with me. You totally should. That'd be so much fun. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm working on. I don't want you to, to spend any time on it. I want to write the outline first and see what you think. So I, 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 I teased it for you. I'm working on character development. I want to have an outline, give you the outline, see what you think, and then we can go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should also do some sort of adventure scenario for Pathfinder, I think. Cause I think between all of us, we, we got great ideas for that. So we could do a coming out of the basement special edition adventure path. Sure. We totally yeah. should. All right, we'll yeah. do that. So, All we'll, right, we'll we'll talk about that right after my vacation. All right, <laughs> yeah, <I was> gonna, <laughs> or after I have a baby. 
<laughs> it's, it's such the opportune time to start these big ideas. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll mention I'll mention a few things that have that have been funded by Kickstarter. You know, since we last uh, since we've last done it, plenty of things have been funded. Oh, by Kickstarter. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are a few things that will be coming out that I wanted to mention. Um, and some, so Lords of Gossamer and Shadow. So there's a role playing game called the Amber Role Playing Game. Have either of you played that? No. no. It is based on a series by Roger Zelazny uh, called The Chronicles of Amber. Uh, Roger Zelazny uh, is one of my favorite fantasy authors of all time, an old school fantasy author. Uh, sadly, passed away during uh, the last books, but uh, he was, you know, good friends with George R. R. Martin back in the day. And The Chronicles of Amber, I think, is like just an iconic fantasy series, which is all about. Uh, I'm going to make it broader than than it actually is, but it has a lot of stuff to do with the interaction between um, law, order, and chaos, and stuff like that. And basically, there's this ruling family uh, in the in the in the city, the city of all cities, which is called Amber. And they and this family has the ability to traverse base the shadows, which are kind of like these basically parallel dimensions. Anything they can imagine, they can eventually get to. Uh, but it's a really great series, highly recommend it. And there was a role playing game called uh, the the Amber Diceless Role Playing Game, which has a bit of a cult following. No dice at all. Uh, something to try out sometime if you haven't played it. Uh, it's still played at like AmberCon and some of these conventions that happen. Um, but Lords of Gossamer and Shadow is the first. Amber-like system. I mean, it uses the Amber Dicelet system for a completely for a different game, and it has some certain themes with uh, with Amber. But it is coming out very soon. They had a Kickstarter to. They actually were done with the book, and they had a Kickstarter to basically fund the art that was very successful. And so that is one to definitely look forward to. Exalted Third Edition had a Kickstarter. Did I have never played Exalted, but you know it's one of Scott's favorite. One of our friend Scott's. Um, favorite games, and I've, I've read through it. I have the second edition book. Um, basically, you play kind of godlike uh, beings, um, and it looks very interesting. And you know, it, it is part of the new system that White Wolf is using, which is basically they're using Kickstarter to fund a lot of their material nowadays. And this was one of them, and it was also successful, successfully funded. Will be coming out. Uh, call, similarly, Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition. Uh, was also funded through Kickstarter. Call of Cthulhu, great RPG, uh, by Chaosium. The newest edition, it made more than half a million dollars on their $40,000 goal, so that, I, I did not back that, uh, but I am very much looking forward to seeing the book when it comes out. Uh, and, you know, Call of I you know, we should play one of that someday. I don't think this group has ever played one of these Cthulhu games, have we? No, I mean, we played the, a bunch of the Cthulhu like uh, tabletop, you know, board yeah. games, but I don't think we've right. ever played. And I think one of the reasons for that is it's hard for our group to kind of get into the horror genre. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think and, it's worth yeah. doing, worth trying at least. I don't know that it's hard for our group to get into it. I'm just, I'm not sure we just ever sat down to to do that. You know, I mean, have we have we ever well, thrown that around? I mean, what we're going through now is somewhat horrific, but it's not. Uh, no, it, it doesn't Cthulhu try to introduce, esque. yeah, it doesn't try and introduce like elements of, of horror genre by giving you like additional things to track, resources like sanity to track, you know, because if your character goes insane, mm-hmm. bad things happen. So it doesn't try to do stuff like that. I think the other problem is, is I think as much as I enjoy gaming with Scott, I think he'd be kind of a wet blanket for stuff like that. You know, cause I don't, I don't think he would play well at the horror genre. I don't know. I was, I was, uh, you know, um, I've always heard 
that Scott is is a great role player and he gets really into the role playing stuff for role playing games. I've and by his definition, um, I've never played a role playing game with Scott. I've played Dungeons and Dragons and I've played you know Pathfinder and that's pretty much it. And so, and which for him are all like tactics games, right? Skirmish games, whatever, not role playing games. And he spends a lot of the time, you know, on the phone or whatever, or on, you know, whatever, playing, game, playing, uh, chess or something on, on his iPhone or Android phone, whatever. But, um, I've heard that he was, you know, that he actually did get into like, I guess the White Wolf style games or the storytelling games quite a bit. And when we played Fiasco at JJ's house, I saw some of that. Uh, Scott actually did have a seemed like did a pretty good job with the whole fiasco system and making up the story and getting into it and stuff like that so i'm kind of curious how what he might do in another uh in another setting uh it he it it could be it it depends he when when it comes to kind of the rp stuff he gets to be kind of an rp snob Uh uh-huh right and he has very defined parameters. That's how I kind of got kicked out of his RP group because I wasn't like. <laughs> I, I think I've told you that story before. If I got kicked out of his RP group because no, you never heard that story before. No, I hadn't heard that story. Well, he they play a lot of White Wolf and they play, play a lot of Werewolf. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy the role playing R O L E the role playing version, but. It, there are certain things that will annoy me, and and he introduced the virtual clock, where we're supposed to be like pack animals from like a uh, a, uh, a clan, and we we're going into the real world, and he wanted to show how annoying the human world was. So he's like, "Oh yeah, you're going to a Ferris ground, and you know there's strange food that smells terrible because it's not natural, and you have to wait everywhere." And then he actually made us wait like five minutes, like to just you know show that you know waiting in line sucks. And I was like, "You know what? I deal with traffic enough. <laughs> I know waiting in this line sucks. You don't need to me to role play waiting in line. That's freaking terrible." <laughs> and so. He was doing a scene where I had to, like, I was trying to get an ability, and I had to commune with the wind spirit. And he was like, all right, commune with the wind spirit. And I was like, all right, mm, I commune with the wind spirit, and I get my power. And he's like, no, you got to really commune with the wind spirit. And I was like, I don't want to just let, let me do my little, you know, meditate thing and commune with the wind spirit. He's like, no, you need to role play it. And I was like, fine, you want me to role play it? Mm, little wind spirit, you're the cutest little wind spirit ever. Who's the cute little wind spirit? And I was just completely done with it. And he was like, all right, you don't need to play with us anymore. And and so it's it's stuff like that that kind of annoys me because I get role. There's one thing to role play. There's another thing to be annoying with it, right? And that's what I kind of was not enjoying. And and like I said, that kind of like role playing snobbishness for it. So him and I came to equal territory with the role playing R O L L. You know, that's where we found we do the the best is is coming together at a tactical based RPG and doing stuff like that. But then again. You know, like you said, he gets, you know, off track and he'll start playing with his phone and stuff and, and not paying attention. And, and I was like, God, you know, if, if during this you can't pay attention, how the hell did I pay attention during your virtual five minute, you know, wait session and stuff? So, yeah, I, I get a little annoyed with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think I could wait in line role playing. No, no, it was, it was not fun, but, uh, I hear the other sessions go a lot better now. Um, I, I, I attribute that to me exiting, and uh, so yeah, and I, a lot of a lot of times, a lot of us can learn lessons GMing if you guys just tell us what you like and don't like. You can stop killing people all the time. 
being a jerk, all kinds of stuff. No, stop, I, I told stop throwing I, dice. You can stop. You know, I, I told him things. I didn't like that, but he actually just laughed it off and he thought it was an awesome part of the scene. So no, I was talking about myself. Oh yeah. Instance, so yeah, yeah. We still, we still give you crap for being the killer GM. I know, but I've changed. I'm totally different I, nowadays. I, I will completely agree with you that you have gotten a thousand times better. You're actually a lot better. You're you're GMing. Uh, you've gone to like the next two levels of GMing, and you're, you've gotten a lot better on it. So, I would be interested to see how you run a home campaign, right? Yeah. A lot yeah. of GMing we've seen you do from the um, sanctioned modules from PFS. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested to see how you'd run a, a home campaign now. I'd I'd be interested in doing that someday. Yeah. All I think. right. You heard it here, and by you I mean like you know the people that we know who know JJ. He will run a home campaign someday. The 50 people that will listen to this. In the next <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I'm going to mention a Kickstarter that will be closed by the time this this comes out. So I'm listing it as a closed one. There is a, a, a RPG called I Am Zombie, a field manual and RPG where basically you play a mostly intelligent zombie during the zombie invasion. It's, you know, kind of like a, I guess that movie that. Uh, Oh, another movie that we haven't really talked about is Warm Bodies. Uh, I, I guess we did mention it. Uh, I guess kind of like that. So you are a zombie. You play in it. Uh, it was, it is successfully funded. Um, looks like it'll be interesting. Uh, I did not back it because I'm not entirely sure if I want to or have the time or whatever to play a game like that. But it looks interesting. So I'll see how it, the reviews are when it comes out. So any other past Kickstarters you want to mention? Uh, I think we've covered all mine. All right. So current Kickstarter, JJ, did you have any past Kickstarters? I, you know, I am not as into the uh, Kickstarter scene as you guys are. Um, I don't quite have as much disposable income as you guys do. No, I have. So. I have a very strict. I have. I have a very strict Kickstarter budget at this point in time. Uh, so um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, BJ, I BJ might get Kickstarters. Right, PJ might get this a little bit better once he has his child, but but two children, <laughs> uh, yeah, in a in a government salary just aren't uh, aren't great for the Kickstarter uh, universe. Yeah, we're we're I, no I, kids I, and uh, we're we're private, so <laughs> yeah, no, I, not- I I yeah I I agree. I mean, I also have a, have a, a government salary, but uh, no kids, and and like I said, now I have a very strict Kickstarter budget. So I star all kinds of things, but I only back if I absolutely, absolutely must have it. Um, I'll mention a few that are going to be ending relatively soon. One of them is called Primeval Thule, which I am not sure if it is going to make or not. It is it's it's I think about eighty percent there, and it's got about three days to go. So it I think it's likely to make, but it's going to be cutting it pretty close. And it is an RPG a setting. Uh, that is based on like, um, you know, Conan, Cthulhu Mythos, Edgar Rice Burroughs, stuff like Savage World type stuff. And it's going to be released in 4th edition, 13th Age, and Pathfinder. Wow. Um, so at first, I think one of the things that hurt it was all of the, all of the affordable, um, setting, all the affordable cost and pricing and, and packages, I guess, that you could buy were, you had to choose one of those, right? And, uh, and in the recent days, they've made it that if you get one of the PDFs, you get all three. And I think that if they had done that earlier, that probably would have helped them quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, cause you know, I like, I like all of those settings, right? So like, well, 
you know, I'm more likely to pay Pathfinder, but I'm really interested in the stuff that's coming out for 13th Age, and I like 4th, you know. So there were, there's definitely some of that. So I have not backed that, uh, and I, I probably won't get a chance to because uh, of my Kickstarter budget, but if, if they had made that change earlier, I might have, right? Um, and I'm hopeful that it's successful, though, because it looks like a really interesting setting, and I'd love to see it come out. Um Coming out, War Machine. Uh, so War Machine, I think, is 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 a tacticals miniature game, and it's one of the big competitors for Warhammer. Uh, and they are actually kickstarting a video game called War Machine Tactics, which is a turn-based tactical combat game. And it had a, I thought, a really ambitious goal of five hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and it is past the million mark now, and it's still got eleven days to go. So it's a turn-based tactic. Uh, tactic kind of miniatures type game but on on the system and i'm not actually sure what what it will look like as a video game i haven't been following it too too closely but it looks like they're going to be having you know it has multiplayer it has uh various uh you can with the add-ons you can get uh expansion missions you can get the fiction that's come out again and you know i mentioned dave gross before dave gross has written uh some of the starting fiction for this for the privateer press the company that makes this and it's pretty good and so there's uh there's a lot of really interesting things coming out with uh i think that look encouraging from privateer press they recently they recently re-released their rpg their uh war machine rpg stuff at which uh with iron called iron kingdoms uh which also looks quite good um Let's see. Peter Atkinson, whom you might know from as one of the founders of Gen Con, uh, and he was, you know, the former founder or one of the founders of Wizards of the Coast before it got taken by over by Hasbro, um, has started a new Kickstarter as well. And what this one is is a film which is based on role playing sessions, and uh, that's something that he decided to experiment with is making uh, films based on actual role playing type sessions. And so they took one of their fiasco games. And are trying to make it into a movie. Interesting. Uh, the first one. Cool. Yeah, the first one. The first one is called "The Devil Walks in Salem," which is a, a fiasco game about the Salem witch trials. And the screenplay is based on their recorded role-playing game session that they tried to make into a script and and then do this. So that looks interesting. It, so it's called uh, "The Devil Walks in Salem" by Peter Atkinson. You can find it on a Kickstarter. Uh, it's got 22 days to go, and it is. Um, about a quarter funded at this point. So we'll see how that goes. Um, definitely one to look at. Other ones, uh, Red Aegis. Uh, so Red Aegis role-playing game is one by, by a new company called Whirlpool Games. Um, is an interesting, an interesting one. And this is actually, of all the things that I've mentioned so far, this is the one that I have backed. This is what I've spent, uh, most of my, my extra money budget on. Uh, this month. <coughs> Excuse me. And basically, it is a, a book where you play not just a single character. It, it's set up for a campaign, and you play a different character based, or a different character each campaign session, or each like little mini adventure, but each character is a descendant of the previous character. And so you choose things about, you know, powers and bloodlines. And if you ever played Dungeons and Dragons Mystara, which had the concept of the bloodline, it uses something like that. And so you, you play successive generations of your, of your characters. And there's a mechanic that rewards you for GMing also. 
those different sessions so that the same person doesn't necessarily, you know, run the game every time. So you can switch off on that and your, you know, your bloodline or whatever will get benefits if, you know, in the past you've GM'd and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so they have hundreds or thousands of years passed between each either set. I'm not sure if it's session or arc or something like that. Um, but it's, it's set up that way. It looks interesting. Um, they have a system they're going to be releasing for Pathfinder. Uh, they're going to be releasing for probably for Fate. Uh, if they get enough stretch goals, also for 13 Age and stuff like that. So yeah, um, I think Red Ages did fund. Um, there's, there's a lot of interesting names associated with it. You know, familiar names we've had before. Uh, Stephen Radley McFarlane from Paizo. Again, Ed Greenwood. Um, Matt Forbeck, who's, you know, an author. So, um, yeah, there's been, it looks like, Red Aegis looks like it's going to be pretty interesting. And so that is one that I am supporting. The one that I just saw, uh, and we'll see if it'll make my next month, uh, Kickstarter or not, uh, if, if I have money for Kickstarter, is a, uh, Rosemont Bay, which is a gothic horror role-playing game, which is based on, um, soap opera stuff like Dark Shadows. And I love Dark Shadows, the original Dark Shadows. I had a lot of fun with that show, so I'm kind of curious to see what uh, what they come up with for this kind of thing. Uh, and we'll see. That one still has 27 days to go. It just started. Uh, someone I saw on Facebook recommended it, and so I will definitely check it out. And so, see, yeah. So their their uh, their sources are things like Dark Shadows, Twin Peaks, American Gothic, The Gates, stuff like that. Yeah, they only have about a thousand more to go. A little oh, over cool. a thousand. So yeah. So yeah, they'll they'll definitely make it. We'll see how it goes. Let's see. Any anything else on the Kickstarter realm? Uh, I think that's it for me. Yeah. Okay. I, I got nothing else as, as far as uh, Kickstarters go. JJ, you good? I'm good. All right. Moving on from Kickstarter. Do we need to finally hit the Xbox One versus PS4 fiasco? The uh, the Xbox One versus PS4 war, as yes. it's being called. Yes, Let's and then I'm going to go it. back to Kickstarter, and then I'll go back to Kickstarter. So something I remember that has nothing to do with <laughs> uh, Kickstarter itself. Just get it so, out sorry. right now. Just, just get, get, yeah, okay. get, this get it out right now. So there's there's a thread on RPG Net which is called Fail Starter. Uh, which is about Kickstarters in the RPG world that have failed. It is worth checking out because it really illustrates something that we mentioned before is, uh, some of the potential failures of Kickstarter. I think, uh, the impetus for this is probably a Kickstarter, which you may have seen called The Doom That Came to Atlantic City. It might even be one that I mentioned in the past, uh, in, in an early episode. I don't actually recall, uh, but, cause it would have been like the second week, the second month we were, we were uh, broadcasting. But it had a pretty epic meltdown this past month. So it finished in uh, May 2012 and was expecting delivery in October 2012. But and it had some pretty big names associated with it. So that the game designer was is uh, Keith Baker or Keith yeah Keith Baker created Eberron and created Gloom and created all kinds of stuff like that. And Lee Moyer, who's a pretty famous artist uh, for fantasy type stuff. And, but it was being run by another person entirely. Um, and what, and, and, you know, every time it, it, of course, passed the last October date and wasn't, uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't made. And, you know, Keith Baker and Lee Moyer were, you know, they were still, um, 
corresponding with the the found the guy who was running the actual thing, who's uh, Eric Eric Chevalier or something like that. Cheval, I don't know how to pronounce that name, but it looks like Chevalier, um, who created this company just you know starting to make this game called The Forking Path, and he moved to you know he dropped his job, he moved over I think to Portland, and he spent you know he tried to get software licenses and hired people and all this stuff after all that. But uh, he ran out of money. So he ran out of money and completely independent of Keith Baker and Lee Moyers. And, uh, you know, basically what it sounds like is due to mismanagement and kind of poor choices um, because he wanted to start basically a game company with this one being the first one and spend a lot of that money on that process. Um, had to say it's not being updated. Game is canceled. So if you go to look up the Doom that came to Atlantic City, you can look at the last few uh, updates, which are public. And kind of has his, uh, has his explanation of what happened. So the rights reverted back to Keith Baker and Lee Moyer and the person doing the miniatures for the game. And what Keith, and he said that he's going to be offering refunds to everyone who bought, although he doesn't have the money. He's going to be working to offer refunds to everyone who bought. Uh, so it's, there's no telling when people will be getting these refunds. Um, and Keith Baker and Lee Moyer were completely also blindsided by this, uh, you know, in the last month or so. And they are going to be giving the files to people so they can print it themselves to people who backed it. You know, they're not getting anything out of it because there was no money. So they're not getting paid anything, but they're going to be giving those to the backers. And at the moment, that's what they got. Yeah. I mean, Kickstarter's as cool as it is, you know, there's always a risk, right? That it won't meet expectations, right? And, and, or it won't get made altogether. And this is one of those things where it, it, it made, but things fell out. I think I've heard another story where one of these things happened and, um, you know, they're kind of left in, in a lurch on what to do. So, you know, it's, you know, it, as with anything, buyer beware. Um, yep. All right. So moving on, Xbox One, PS4. The it really came to a uh, collision in was it E3? I think it was E3. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. When when PlayStation Four did their little ad about trading games. Yeah, that was epic, man. That was so good. <laughs> it, it really in in everyone was like laughing because it was basically Sony trolling Microsoft, right? And mm-hmm. so. We'll set the stage here. We're into the, you know, we're, we're prepping for the next gen console war. It's going to happen in Christmas. And so, it's been tightly held secrets. I, I can tell you this. My father worked on the chips for both the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 and the two versions before that. Cause whenever they develop these chips, they will consult with IBM for chip design and stuff like that. And my dad was like one of the top chip designers within his area specialty. And he said it was always awkward because they would have you, like, they would lock him down and he'd have to use a bunch of different fobs and smart cards and stuff like that. And they always didn't like the fact that he was working on both of them at the same time, but there's a limited number of chip specialists who design this stuff, right? And, you know, they, they try to make these specs so tight and so, closely guarded until they're ready to release any information and stuff. And so we knew that it was going to be that kind of a race. What we didn't know was that really the hardware specs are kind of taking a backseat to the quality of life stuff that they've been discussing about. And it's really come back to that thing that we talked about earlier with uh, DRM, 
And, and that's really what ended up kind of killing, um, the Xbox One, uh, at least initially, uh, and they had to kind of like do a complete, you know, 180 on their stance. So, the Xbox One, when they announced it, had this horribly, overly complicated system for how you were going to be able to let people borrow games if they were on your friend list for at least 30 days, and then your friends and family could, like, like digitally borrow it. You can only lend a game out to one person ever and blah, 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 blah. It was like very, very overly complicated and was not very user-friendly or community-friendly. And everyone blew their gasket, you know, had a major flip-out. And it was right around that time that Sony released a video like, here's how you borrow a game for PlayStation. And it was like the Sony... Um, CEO or the the uh, the the VP within the uh, the uh, PlayStation division talking with his you know United States uh, uh, counterpart and he was like here friend and he handed a game over to him and he's like thank you and that was it right they're not going to have any of the complicated DRM stuff and the it was after that video that the internet community was like ready to boil over and they just exploded from there right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, you know, throwing out, you know, Microsoft's just in it for money. Microsoft is just in it to do this. Don't get me wrong. I think it was a complete misstep by Microsoft and a horrible, horrible, um, move there. And, and it was a bad idea on their part. But I don't think you can blame it purely on Microsoft. I think there's a lot of pressure coming from the publishers. Publishers, yep. Right? And it was even today, uh, not today, but it was, I, I linked an article to Carlos a little bit to kind of prove this point a little bit. One of these publishers came out and was like calling GameStop like you know a horrible demon or something like that. It was was really railing on GameStop because he's like GameStop is effectively taking money from developers. So what what motivation do we have to develop games if they're just going to steal all of our money, right? Yeah. And that's where a lot of the pressure is coming from because publishers hate the secondhand game market, right? They, they don't get any money off of it. They hate Redbox. They hate GameFlight. And they hate GameStop. Where and, people, and libraries. And libraries, mm-hmm. yeah. They want first-hand sales. And, and Carlos and I, you, think, you and I have talked about this. They're equating mm-hmm. someone who buys a used game to essentially be missed point of sale, right? That's mm-hmm. $60 they're not making. Where they're... Mm-hmm. They're anticipating that if the person didn't have any other recourse but to buy the game firsthand, that they'd have to buy it at full price, right, at like $60 or whatever. Right, which, you know, we mentioned is a really bad assumption. Yeah. Yep. And and the model that people kept on saying, like, if you were going to do this, the model you need to go after is the Steam model, where, yes, when you buy games, they're tied to your account, but... Steam constantly has sales, and prices drop drastically for even you know, like you know AAA titles, mm-hmm. right? Like I bought um, what game did I recently buy? I, I bought Batman Arkham City for four dollars, right? Right. Brand new, four dollars. They had a summer sale on. It, it's that. It, I mean, that's as AAA as you can get, right? Mm-hmm. I bought Fallout. Five dollars. Fallout three. Five dollars. Right. So this model that the publishers want only works if you're willing to price your your product accordingly to the market. 
don't view it as you're missing out on $60. View it as, all right, this is a guy who wasn't willing to pay $60. Maybe a year after its release, he's willing to pay $20 or $10. And that's mm-hmm. the point they're missing. And the other thing that I will mention, is, and one thing that this is true across industries uh, that 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 deal are, I guess, mainly publishers, uh, not just video game, but book publishers, music publishers, movie movie publishers. Um, there are uses which are both legal and right, I will say, that are free, and that will never that both do not need payment and should never have a payment. And I'm going to include stuff like library lending as one of those. Um, and that is something that is not addressed by stuff like Steam and by stuff like uh, no. you know that kind of thing. And and but certainly not by their we want to destroy the secondhand market. I mean, the secondhand market exists for a lot of reasons. Um, and I think that that is really short-sighted of publishers to be dismissing stuff like GameStop and dismissing stuff like, uh, um, you know, the ability to lend games and stuff like that. So the publishers are, are being ridiculous. And, and they're not being quiet about it. More than a few right. publishers have come out, denounced GameStop, and, and have admitted that they're trying to kill the second-hand market. And that was part of the pressure on... on Microsoft with the overly complicated DRM system. Luckily, though, Microsoft, I mean, I don't know if it's luck, but they were almost deafened by the outrage from the community, and Microsoft Mm -hmm. agreed to change their stance. But the question is, is the damage done already? Is it too, too, you know, too little too late? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I will. I will give kudos to Microsoft for changing their stance there. I know. I know there were there was even a backlash to that because it's Microsoft. They're like, why? You know, well, you can't stand by your convictions, whatever. No, I think Microsoft did a good thing in 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 changing their their model at that point because um, at you know you don't want to side with the with the publishers over you know no. your consumers. No. So I, I think Microsoft did the right thing in in, in changing their stance there. I, I think. I think it'll hurt them. I'm I'm not sure it's going to make a huge difference though. I think I think people that have PlayStations will keep their PlayStations and stick with PlayStation, and people that that already just have Microsoft are going to stick with Microsoft, especially now that they changed their mind. Well, and and let me pose this part of of the equation: the gaming community is a fickle community and has a very short memory. If you'll re- if you'll remember about I want to say two years ago, the PlayStation Network was dropped for about two months due to hacking. They lost mm-hmm. tons of accounts and stuff like that. Yep. And players were frothing at the mouth, swearing they would never buy a PlayStation. That they were upset that the the PlayStation like uh, overall network architecture was so weak, could be so easily taken down. They didn't have access to their friends list. They didn't have access to their online content. And, and at that same time, we saw these same types of people saying, I swear I will never buy another PlayStation product ever again. And I'm guaranteeing some of those people who said that are now saying, I will never buy an Xbox product ever again, right? So it's a fickle, fickle community with short memory. Yep. So is the memory short enough, though, that come in a few months... You know, it, 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 it's really going to depend on AAA titles, right? It's going to depend on what titles come through and which one of them have the strongest online presence. Because that's really what ended up winning for the Xbox was their Xbox network, right? They had a very strong networking system 
with their friends network and their DLC and the uh, the Xbox Live Arcade and stuff like that. Again, mm-hmm. Xbox got in trouble cuz they weren't like supporting indie developers well enough, right? So, again, they switched their stance and now they're going to give complete and utter support to the indie developers, right? They're really opening the doors for allowing just about any indie indie developer to come through and, and make a game for the new Xbox One, right? Yeah. I, I think what it'll boil down to is it's going to boil down to price and it's going to boil down to exclusives. What what exclusive do you want to play and that's going to pick your system for at least the first year. And then the second year when prices come down a little bit or the third year or however long it takes, um, then people will start getting back where they are now, where they have both systems. And yeah. it, I think it'll all pan out in the end, and everybody's going to probably make about the same amount of money. One year, one will be up one year, and the other will be up the next year. And it is a bit of a pendulum system. Um, you know, we saw that with Sony with the PlayStation Three, they were too confident from their dominance after PlayStation One and Two that they felt they could do anything and still control the market. And then we got the PlayStation 3, which was too costly, didn't deliver enough AAA titles. Um, it was too difficult to for developers to um, code to, right? That's one of the things I hear the most about, is that developers hated developing for the PlayStation 3. And, and they both Xbox and Sony tried to develop that, so they're both using x86 platforms, right, which is... The easiest to develop for, because that's what you know the PCs use. All they use x86 platforms, right? So it'll make it easier for developers to develop games for both the PC and the consoles at the same time now, right? So that's that's one way of them bending over for developers again. Um, and so we and and then you know Sony learned the lesson about pricing. They're actually going to be the cheaper one because Xbox is shipping with the Connect. And so they're going to be about $100 cheaper. Sony decided to make that optional, their whole webcam, like, you know, uh, accessory thing. So now they're going to be $100 cheaper. So I think Sony's learned a lot of those lessons. Yeah. Xbox, however, I think, you know, again, they're going to be guilty of some hubris here because they've been dominating the market for the last, you know, eight years. And so, you know, it might be time for them to learn a lesson, right? Right. I mean, they've been really close numbers wise for the last, uh, it's really complicated to see who's been, I don't think there is anybody clearly dominating anything on, on either of those console sides. Um, the Xbox 360 has a, eh, about a million lead of units sold, and it was also out a year earlier than the PS3. Um, and X, I think Xbox 360 has done better overall, um, because of games specifically. They've sold more games than the PS3 has, but it's it was much closer than I thought it was. And I actually looked up the, the numbers associated with it. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We'll we'll see how uh, how the next one how the next one. I'm I'm quite yeah. I think it, I think you're right, JJ. It's going to be pretty close between them as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, both Xbox and Sony have had some, or Microsoft and Sony have had some problems, right? The the security breach that you mentioned that you mentioned. Well, it was a security breach that led to that PlayStation outage. That was horrible. That was really terrible for Sony, and uh, they ended up having to buy, you know, identity theft insurance for everybody who was affected by that, which was a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that oh, was not. It was absolutely terrible, and and it was again a huge misstep. But how quickly the community forgets. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'd I'd venture to say that the whole trading games thing is a thing of the past already. I mean it. 
it, it's a non-issue already because they changed. They 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 went back on it. So yeah, I mean, like, because we don't do it nearly as much now because a lot of us play our games on Steam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know. We sometimes borrow games like, you know, uh, JJ, you're borrowing a bunch of games from me. You're, you're borrowing an entire Xbox from me. <laughs> right. Um, and you got a dozen, you know, games over there. But, so it, it still happens. But, um, did they take out the needs to check in every 24 hours thing also? Because I know the military guys were a little, really upset about that. I, be- I, I believe they did, but I'm not like, don't quote me on that. I think I, they at least talk about doing that. Yeah, I think they removed that. I think the only thing they haven't, like removed was the camera being always on, and so people are creeped right. out about that, right? Yeah, oh, I agree. Yeah, that's um, kind of creepy to me. Too. I'm, I'm kind of creeped out about that. Yeah, I don't care. I mean, whatever. You got uh, nothing to hide. <laughs> I, it's like I could care. I mean, realistically, if I am that worried about it, I'll just unplug it, right? But I, I, I won't because I just don't care. Oh, you, oh, you didn't hear that? You, you can't unplug it either. Oh well, whatever. <laughs> It's, it's impossible. That's uh, fine. Yeah, it'll shock Good you. morning, no, DJ. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Now, actually, I find that my console playing in the last couple of years has decreased enormously. Mm. I, uh, I, I mainly use them for watching Netflix and stuff like that or having something like that. Or I'm movies. the same way. I've noticed that. Like, you know what I've started doing is because I like being downstairs because uh, Beck usually watches um, like uh, HGTV and stuff like that. I don't get much control of the downstairs TV because it's kind of her TV. But I don't like being upstairs. I don't like being away from her because I'm like, I love her. So I've actually like installed a lot of the console games off of Steam sales on my laptop, and then I use my Xbox controller. I have a wired Xbox controller. And all of these Steam games have full con- uh, console controller support, mm-hmm. fidelity, mm-hmm. even like they auto-map correctly and stuff like that, right? So like Fallout 3 and the uh, the Batman game, all these games, I can just play with my Xbox controller on my laptop, which I'm looking forward to because I'm going to take that to Australia and I can like plug it into the TV through an HDMI stuff and I can just play all my console games and they're all on my computer, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. so uh, I mean, I'm having a lot more fun with that and I'm actually like, Completing stuff. I'm going through Batman Arkham City and completing all the Riddler trophies and stuff. So yeah, I I actually notice with the kids that I play most of my console stuff with the kids when I'm not borrowing stuff from you, BJ. But but yeah, I mean most of the stuff that I play with you guys, I'm gonna play on the on a PC and online. Um, we're gonna Skype together and 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 sit down and play an evening of whatever MMO that we're playing at the time. Uh, but I mean, my kids still love the, of course, the Lego games and, and, uh, we play games where we work together to do things. We play old PS2 and PS1 games. Um, you know, and they love that, so. Yeah, and, and so I think a lot of these social community things with the, you know, the consoles need to kind of get in line. I mean, you know, of course, they're going to have Netflix and Hulu Plus and YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got to get their, their community stuff going, and I think they need to bring people back to console gaming. I think we're, we're starting to move, you know, there, there's this thing where they're like, oh, PC games are dying off and everything's going to console. I think that pendulum swinging back to the PC again. Yeah, I I think it's an age thing too, because I work with I work with kids a lot too through my church, um, and all of those kids, uh, middle school to high school, they're they're playing console games because they I mean they don't they can't afford a computer you know they they can get a console and and 
get a game once a month or something like that. But their, you know, their parents aren't forking out the money for, uh, you know, a, a good PC for them. So, uh, I think a lot of it is just generational, uh, the age appropriateness of that too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So I think that really covers the PS4 Xbox One battle. It, it, it'll we'll, we'll it'll all come to a heat come Christmas. Um, I think they're now trying to to do some fighting over who's going to have the soonest release date. Right? Neither one of them wants to release, yep. a, you know, have a hard release date yet, but they both want to be yeah. ahead of each other. So there's a big fight yep. now with that. So we'll see. I think they're not going to be right at Christmas. They're both going for like a November release. So, um, you know, I. Someone, I, I read an analyst somewhere saying that uh, they're predicting the Xbox will do better simply because they're going to have more units available. That PS4 has already run out of, of units or something for pre-sales. Oh, wow. So this is this is this is interesting. Um, you mentioned, I guess, that your, I hadn't realized that your father worked on the chips for both uh, PS3 and, and and Xbox 360. Because I also know some people who worked at IBM and who worked on, yeah. or knew people who worked on those chips. Um, and that's interesting because um, what, the contracts basically with IBM are what ultimately ended up determining which console got released first. So I'm wondering what's the term, like what's the limiting factor this time uh, yeah. for for you know what's what's coming, what's happening there on, on the back end and I think there was a lot of contention between IBM and those different companies about you know who was going to release first and how they were going to work on stuff and what engineers they were going to assign to what project you know I've seen security stuff and and security at even at the University of Texas is is ridiculous but nothing is as much as I've seen those uh, Xbox 360 PS4 development stuff. I think that's like the highest security stuff I have ever seen before. Oh, yeah, the number of fobs my dad had to bring home for use on, like, mm-hmm. to access all the different things. It was so funny. Within the engineering community, my father was known as uh, Dr. Noise, and the reason he was known as Dr. Noise is he was the first one, he was one of the first engineers to predict um, white noise generation from the chips that they'd start um, being so fast and vibrating so fast on the motherboard, and they would start developing white noise that would interfere with um, other electronics on the board, and so he was the first mm-hmm. one to develop algorithms and protocols to work around that, so like other motherboard um, protocols could still function, um, despite you know uh, white noise generation from the chips and stuff like that. Um, and he hated working on the console stuff, but it was good money, and the reason I always tease him about that is because he thought video games rotted people's brains, and he would always like, you know, mm-hmm. why are you playing those video games? And I was like, I'm playing it because you helped them come into existence, father. and so i would always kind of tease him about that anytime you try and give me crap about playing video games i'd be like i'm just you know i'm just paying for your job that's all i'm doing is paying for your work so it's you're you're right the relationship between the people they contract and they spec'd out the uh the chip contracts right they amd tried to bid for them and they didn't get the contracts this time around um it, it it's really it's all cutthroat and they all want the the most cutting edge, but they don't want to really spec. So it's it's all really complicated. The funny thing, though, is that the hardware specs were such a uh, such so, such cutthroat last time, and this time they're really not that cutthroat. I mean, we're getting information about them, but that's not really the headline news in this case. The headline news are all those quality of life stuff and the DRM stuff. That's what's making the most news in this yeah. this current battle. Right. Yep. So. Uh, which one, PJ? Are you getting? Uh, both. I mean, we 
We we are a uh, I, I'm I'm a the wife likes playing on the PlayStation. I enjoy playing on the Xbox. I think they both have their merits. Carlos. So, uh, honestly, first off, I'm probably getting a PlayStation because uh, a lot of the JRPGs and the, the kind of stuff that I'm more likely to buy are on the PlayStation at the moment. Yeah, uh, I'm probably going to be PlayStation as well, uh, almost solely because Kingdom Hearts. Right. Um, but yeah, and and I probably won't get one right away. I'll probably wait until. Yeah, uh, same same here. Probably probably till first quarter of next year or. Maybe second quarter. Yeah, same here. I mean, uh, right, without without really knowing what the games are and without having time to play the games, I don't think... I mean, if the PS3 and Xbox 360 that I have now are doing everything I need to do, then I don't really have a giant incentive to get the new consoles yet. So. Right, and I've heard that Kingdom Hearts is going to come out for the PS3 as well, so I don't know. Right. Yeah, that's your big selling point. Why even get the PS4 if it, you know, the exactly. PS... Yeah, so... Now that's what's the what's the selling point? Because the PS3 is still a pretty powerful system, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so, exactly. Um, and I forget. Did they say whether or not the Xbox would be Blu-ray supportive this time. Better be. I I I honestly don't know. Let's look that up because yeah, no, I mean I use my PS3 as a uh as a Blue, as a Blu-ray player all the time. Yes, it looks like it will be. Okay. Uh, it, let's see. Watch movies, play games, and sending HD. Yeah. So. That had to be an ugly contract negotiation with Sony, right? <laughs> because that's one of the big benefits, like the biggest, one of the biggest benefits of the PlayStation 3 over the Xbox is the fact that Xbox mm-hmm. doesn't support Blu-ray, and they own the Blu-ray like technology, like patent, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So we'll see. It it, it it'll be interesting. Um, realistically, at this stage, it it's gonna just benefit the community more and more because it seems like both um, developers like the console developers are bending over backwards to um, gain the edge with the community and that's you know competition just makes it better for us I agree can, can within the same vein yeah. of the console war can we talk about the joke that is the Ouya I, uh, I you know much more about that than I do because yeah. I just saw the Kickstarter and don't really uh Never really saw it again. So, so yes, tell us what's happened with it. They, they finally released, they've started releasing the Ouya to, to people. It was the much touted, um, Android console. It's tiny. It's like the size of a Coke can, right? Or even half the size of a Coke can. It's, it's really small. Um, and it uses a, a mobile chip and, and it runs off of Android. And they were talking about how it was going to be like the console killer, right? Cause it was going to be able to play anything and stuff like that. And they were showing how, like, uh, League of Legends runs on it and stuff. And, uh, so people are starting getting it and it, all, all the people use it for are, um, emulators, right? That's ultimately the only thing people have really seen it be able to do is, is run emulators. And so they're just playing like old NES and SNES games on it and stuff. I've, I've actually read some pretty scathing stuff about it that it's not nearly as cool as everyone thought it was going to be or what it was touted to be. So it's, and I mean, I don't. Whoever thought it would be like the console killer had to be joking themselves, or just like really, really just blinding themselves to the reality, right? Because these AAA console titles and AAA console like stuff is you, you can't be you can't be beat by just a little tiny box like that. It's just not going to happen. So yeah, the the Ouya thing has kind of become a big catastrophe to a certain degree. 
Yeah, I see that uh, early media reviews are decidedly lukewarm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, not encouraging. No, no. And lukewarm is putting it nicely. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So, again, you know, I, I, I don't even want to put it in the same category as, like, the PS4 and the Xbox One. It's not even, like, anywhere close to that, right? So, All right. So yeah, that's I think that's the last bit of the console war. So yeah, the, the, we're we're into the the big console war, and and come November, we'll, money will start being chilled out, and we'll start getting new consoles, and we'll yep. spend more money than we probably should on, on video game stuff. So, um, all right. So I think that covers that. What's next on our list, Carlos? We want to talk about uh, conventions and stuff like that. You want to talk about Comic Con? Uh, sure. Or whichever, what, what convention? Oh, no, go for it. That was the big recent one. I, I was going to mention some that, uh, that, that I attended or that are coming up, but let's, let's talk about what's, what big Comic Con news came out. So, World's Finest, that's one of the big ones. Their, the next, uh, Superman title will be a combo Superman Batman. They're trying to cast Batman right now. Um, we, the, I think, think one of the big showstoppers was the Marvel presentation where Tom Hiddleston was yes. in character as Loki. Mm. I, that that was great. I saw that. that yeah, was cool. YouTube. and yeah. he, he made people in the crowd bend down to him, and which a lot of people had fun with. Yep. And it really just seems like Marvel has a good time with their stuff. I agree. Right? And they brought out a bunch of their actors. The entire um, the uh, I couldn't believe they made these guys do this. They they packed up the um guardian the Guardians of the Galaxy crew, flew them from England to San Diego, and they, they the same day that they flew in, they were presenting at the uh, the convention. I was like, man. Mm. That's gotta suck. Yeah, right. And a lot of these guys are like fresh into um, doing the movie. Uh, the thing I found so funny is they got a lot of like good actors, like high quality actors in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Benicio del Toro's in it. Um, uh, Zoe, what's her name? Zaldana, the guy, the chick who was playing Ohura, she's in it. Um, the Chris Pratt from Parks and Recreation. And then with all these like you know these quality actors and stuff like that, all of a sudden you got Batista from World Wrestling Entertainment, <laughs> and he's um, playing um, Zach the Zach's the Destroyer or something like that. And when they talked to him about it, he looked so nervous. Really? Oh, it was so funny to see this guy, this huge guy who's like six eight, and they ask him, you know, what's it like, and he's like, you, he was like, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he was basically saying. I'm out of my element. Hmm. I'm I I am you know I'm I'm a 40 year old man used to throwing people around in a ring, and this is a tier above what I'm used to doing, and I'm really trying my best to do as well as I can for the people I'm acting with. He was like talking about how it's a lot easier for some of the other guys to act in the scene, and he has to really work at you know being in the scene and being you know uh, bringing the character alive and stuff like that. And it really looked like, you know, for being the huge guy that he is, he was definitely, like, the most nervous out of everyone there, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he, that's because this is really an opportunity to open a career outside of wrestling for him, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I bet you a lot of the wrestlers look at The Rock as sort of being the pinnacle standard of developing a career outside of wrestling. And a lot of them want to do that, but it's hard. You have to have a certain level of charisma. And... You can, you know, make a career doing, like, little crappy, like, you know, made-for-TV sci-fi stuff. You know, you can definitely do that. But, you know, being a major character in a major Marvel movie definitely opens some doors, and I think he's really nervous about that because it's an opportunity that might not come again for him. Right. 
Um, the do you know who was declared winner of uh, Comic Con? <laughs> uh, <the laughs> I, I saw that. I think JJ yeah. knows this, but who was uh, declared winner? Brian Cranston. <laughs> and the reason he was declared winner of Comic Con was he figured out a way to walk the Comic Con floor. I saw that. Yeah. Without <laughs> being hassled, and the way he did yes. that was he wore a um. He in character. <laughs> yeah, he wore a mask of uh, um his character, his character Breaking right, Bad, Breaking Bad, right? And yeah. so, and then when it was time for his uh, panel, he just walked up there, took the mask off, and everyone's like, "What the?" Yeah, yeah. So, so and it started it, making out with it, if I recall. Yeah, something like that. It was <laughs> disturbing. So that was pretty funny. Which is pretty, you know, par for Actually, the course from what I did this weekend in our uh, campaign. Yeah, that's that was weird. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Um, the, uh, so, yeah, actually, it seems like this Comic-Con was the year that people did that because apparently at the Big Bang Theory, the guy who played Leonard was uh, in the audience uh, dressed as, uh, oh, what's the Star Wars character name? The Princess Leia was pretending to be a bounty hunter, dressed like that. But, and uh, asked, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and when, he, when he asked a question, you know, it was, it was Leonard, you know, because there were no actors at the Big Bang Theory. Matt Smith, you know, Doctor Who, walked around in a Bart Timpson mask for a while talking to people and, like, no one wanted to talk to him because <laughs> <laughs> he was wearing this giant plastic Bart Simpson mask. Uh, yeah, there was, yeah, the, the, the Breaking Bad one. Uh, Adam Savage uh, was walking around dressed as something else also. So apparently this was just the year to do that. I call slight bullshit on that because it all comes from Andrew Garfield dressing up as Spider-Man for the Spider-Man panel like two years ago, right? And that's really where all this started from. So he made a big hoopla at Comic-Con like two years ago when he dressed as Spider-Man for the Spider-Man panel, and they asked the question, and he took off the mask, and then everyone's like, oh, God, it's Andrew Garfield. And so I think that was really the impetus of this. Maybe, but it seemed like everyone was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. They released the Avengers two name, uh, Age of Ultron, which mm-hmm. not to be confused with the actual like series of comics called Age of Ultron. They're actually not using that storyline. That's confusing, but okay. Uh, I know, but uh, yeah, Age of Ultron. Ultron, I think, is another very interesting um, character to bring into the comics because he's not well known amongst the general populace. Right. So Ultron was a robot developed by um, Henry Pym. And uh, he uh, developed sentience and went evil like all robots do. Um, but <laughs> the interesting thing about him is he's able to mimic the powers that's, of the Avengers. That's racist, BJ. What? <laughs> racist? racist. I'm just, all, ro- all robots. Uh-huh. I'm just basing it on the robots I know, like <laughs> Skynet and Bender and you know all others who want to kill all humans. Um, so, yeah, I mean... And they've already said they're not going to go with the traditional storyline, so I don't think they're going to bring in Henry Pym. Right. Although they are making an Ant-Man movie. Yeah, so I know. That, that kind of surprised me. That confuses me, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting. And, of course, there's the casting um, mystery of Vin Diesel, right? Vin yeah, Di- what's he going to be? Yeah, Vin Diesel's been having a lot of meetings with the Marvel execs, right? And so a lot of people thought he was playing Ultron, but I think he kind of spoiled it already because he tweeted something about the Marvel execs have a very interesting idea for a very different take on a romantic relationship for a Marvel character. And I was like, okay, he's playing Thanos. Right? Although I expected Thanos to be the big bad in this movie. No, they've already talked about Thanos being the big bad in three. Hmm. 
right? That's that's what they were talking about. That he will be a minor character in some of the other movies that are going on, but they expect him to be all. Everything's going to culminate into the epic, epic like end of the galaxy battle and and Avengers three. So they never intended for Thanos to be the big bad in two. They want him to be the big bad. Oh, in three. They're bringing in the Falcon to two. I know, isn't that weird? That's awesome. Here's the really weird thing. So I forget the name of the character who's playing the Falcon, but Andrew Garfield gained some controversy when he was Anthony talking. Mac- Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie, that's right. Andrew Garfield gained some, you know, the guy who plays Spider-Man gained some controversy when he talked about the idea of making Peter Parker gay. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how he wanted um, Anthony Mackie to play like the love interest for the gay Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. And when asked about that, Anthony Mackie had a very interesting comment about how he likes the idea of playing with characters and, and re-imaging them for the modern world, such as making some characters black who were previously white in the comics, such as um, uh, uh, Nick Fury and um, Hordor from uh, Thor and stuff like that. And he said, but I don't think we need to be playing around with the sexual orientation of characters. And I found that, I mean, I found that a little hypocritical, right? A little hypocritical of a stance to take. Where, you know, I, I felt he was basically saying, like, oh, yeah, we can make characters black, but we can't make them gay. Um, and so I was a little put off by that. But a lot of people are very anti-making Peter Parker gay, right? He, Stan Lee even said, you know, if that happens, I'm making phone calls. <laughs> so, yeah, just a lot of weird stuff coming out of Comic-Con like that. Odd. Okay. And he's going to be in, what, The Winter Soldier? Yeah. I was, I was surprised they were ma- take, making Falcon such a big character. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they they've made him a big character in the uh, Avengers Assemble on the Disney Channel. Yeah, they've made him a, a key character in in the Avengers there. So I think he's just a harder character to make because I mean he's essentially just a dude who flies around with wings, right? And I don't know how that'll play into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It'll be interesting. I mean, I got faith in them to do it. I was also very interested that Robert Redford's going to be in Captain America, right? I mean, he's as yeah. A-class as you can get for as far as actors go. He doesn't yeah. do movies very often either, right? And he was talking right. about how he sought out this role. He saw what Marvel was doing, and he saw that these were the kind of movies that he grew up with, and he was like, I want to do this. So I found that to be very interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So, any other, did anyone else hear anything interesting from Comic-Con? They had, I mean, they had a bunch of stuff. I know we can't cover it all in this small episode, but those were the, the highlights that really interested me. Yeah, I think those were the highlights, too. Yeah. Yeah. What, what oh. conventions do you, oh, I'm sorry, JJ? No, I was going to say that, that about covers it for me as well. Uh, what other convention news did you have, Carlos? Uh, well, there's going to be a convention in Austin, uh, coming up in January called Chupacabra Con, and we keep on, trying to get someone on because they said they'll come on, but they're still working out their, uh, uh, you know, PR stuff. But I saw the first Chupacabra Con t-shirts and, uh, one of the, uh, so recently Dragon's Lair, the, uh, the big local comic store had a Pathfinder Ultimate Game Day where people went and played Pathfinder Society games from, uh, you know, basically 10 a.m. to midnight. And I GM'd, uh, three games on that day. And, um, and so uh, David Woodfin, who's currently the the venture captain for the Central Texas region, uh, was wearing his Chupacabra concert. But I also heard a funny story from people who went to PaizoCon, where one of the people for Chupacabra Con went to, or several of them went to PaizoCon, uh, and kept on referring to it as Chupacon, 
which uh, in Spanish means something kind of rude in that case. And so they had to kind of uh, say, it's chupacabra con. Just make sure you, you know, chupacabra means goat sucker, right? So uh, make sure that you say the whole thing um, because then, it, it, yeah. Anyway, uh, yes, but Pathfinder Ultimate Game Day was, was pretty nifty. Um, Pathfinder Society is doing some interesting things. Have you heard the recent news about uh, what benefit GMs are going to get? No. What benefit are GMs getting? So Pathfinder has a system by which the more you GM, Pathfinder Society, I should say, is eventually you get stars, right? So you do, you know, if you GM 10 games, you get a star. If you GM 30 games, you get uh, two stars, 60 games. You know, it just goes up every time, and you get stars. Well, um, you know, Pathfinder Society has learned a lot from RPGA and learned a lot about, you know, how to balance things out. And so they don't allow – so right now when you – the way that it works is you play a Pathfinder Society module and you get a certificate at the end. And that certificate records, like, the amount of gold you get and your experience and, and you know, various resources and stuff that you buy and sell. But right now, um, you know, back in the RPGA days, you could only get one cert for a module. And if you GM'd it, you could never, uh, you could never play it, right? You could just do one yeah. or the other. Um, and so it was difficult to recruit GMs. And Pathfinder Society eased on that a bit. So now that you can get two certs, right, you can um, you can GM it and get credit, and you can play it and get credit. Well, what they've decided to implement is a limited replay, actually, so that if for every star you have, you can get another cert for the same module. So you can end up playing some module three times then, or and, and apply that uh, that cert to a, a character, another a second character, essentially. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, like, I have two stars right now. So, tech, so once that's implemented, I think next month, I would be able to play two modules, you know, total, and get a third set, a third, you know, AR for that. Which, you know, in some ways is nice because um, it incentivizes people to GM. But also, you know, maybe you died in a module, so you never got to finish it, you know, with with a character. Or maybe there's a module that you think would be perfect for this character concept you have, you know, because it gives you access to. Oh, a Fey Dragon Familiar or something like that. Um, and so it's like, you, well, I can play it with that. Right now, if you ran something again, if you ran something twice, you wouldn't get another cert for that? Right now, no. No, right now you you can only always get one cert for jamming, one cert for playing, no matter what. Gotcha. Right? With, with the exception of the first the first level modules, which can be replayed, you know, the first steps at the moment can be played an infinite number of times. But normally, no. So I've run, you know, Way of the Kirin two or three times now, and you know, I get one cert for that. And the other times, I just, I, you know, you still get, you still get credit towards gotcha. getting those stars, but you don't get actual certs for that. Gotcha. So yeah, so I thought that was kind of nifty. Oh, that sounds nifty. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see other con stuff. So I went to a convention uh, a couple weeks ago. I went to a My Little Pony convention which was actually kind of interesting. It was called Fiesta Equestria in Houston, Texas. Uh, a large part of it was... So Holly, my wife Holly, re- and who's been on the podcast before, is really loves making costumes. Like, she 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 enjoys it. She does really creative things with it. She makes these pretty amazing costumes. And so, I I, I mean, that was a big reason we went, because she wanted to, to cosplay, basically. And I think that's... that's uh, and so she made some costumes that came out really awesome, and I have them online. But, uh, the convention itself was, was pretty good, um, in, in some ways and not so good in other ways. Um, a lot of these small, and, and, you know, it was in Houston, it was at the Marriott, it was a, a decent venue, the elevators were not terrific, 
uh, not working a lot of the time. Some of the panels were unorganized. Uh, I've seen this happen at, at these at smaller cons in particular that the panels don't make quite like they're scheduled, but someone the, the the person giving the panel doesn't show up. But the weirdest thing that happened, I think, the entire weekend was. So the the we we have a whole episode about about My Little Pony and the Bruni fandom uh, back back in the day. But there is a, a very big fandom, and there's a series, a parody series called Friendship is Witchcraft, which I think is just brilliant. It's it's a great great series. It's my favorite part about this 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 whole this whole endeavor really. And somebody there was pretending to be the voice actress for that fan series, which is a very weird thing to happen. So, I mean. So she's, she's just pretending to be this person? She was pretending to be a fan voice actress that she was not. And yeah. like ended up doing interviews and was going to be on a panel and took part in the opening wow. ceremony. Mm. And yeah, it was very weird. How was she discovered? Well, um, so she, she, well, they, they, one of the interesting things is that they live broadcast everything. So they have it streaming online. Everyone can see everything. And, and somebody, of course, who knows the people who do it or maybe, and even them themselves at one point were like, this person is saying things about you guys. You should check this out. You know, Twitter, right? People were tweeting, oh, the voice actress to friendship is witchcraft with, you know, hashtag, you know, at the people, sure, clop poems or hashtag friendship is witchcraft, whatever. And so they're like, we're not at, we're not in Houston. What are you talking about? They're like, oh, well, go watch this video. And yeah, sure enough, you can go back and watch the video. And there's a person who, you know, claims the stage and is like, yeah, I'm the voice actress for this, you know, Jenny whatever gets the credit, but she actually, but I'm the one who actually does the voices and she said I could come and actually tell you all that. So yeah, that was a weird bit of, of, I don't, I, I honestly don't know what to make of it. Like if this person was troubled or something or she thought it would be funny, but uh, I think eventually she got escorted from the con after, you know, trying to be on the voice actor panel and, you know, in, interrupting the opening ceremonies was, was on another panel. Yeah. So it was a very weird, weird thing in that particular sense. Talk about just, oh, yeah, I don't, someone's got issues. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's basically, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. So it was, it was odd. Uh, but yeah, no, Holly's cosplay was good. The convention was, it was interesting. I I liked, I liked that we went. It was fun. Um, but let's see. Any other cons coming up? I guess those are the big ones for me. Um, there are several other conventions. Game-related conventions, I think, that are going to be coming up in the next year. Next week is going to be Space City Con uh, in Houston, which is going to be an RPGA Houston. And actually, WotC has a big presence at Space City Con. Uh, really? Surprisingly, they're sending several people to be running D&D Next Things, which hmm. reminds me of a piece of news related to RPGs. So Bruce Cordell, who's been at TSR, you know, he was at TSR at WotC, one of my favorite designers and probably of the people who are still there, my favorite, uh, is no longer still there. He gave his resignation about a week ago. He is leaving Wizards of the Coast. Uh, and I think I know he is going to Space City Con and he was being there by, he was being funded by Wizards of the Coast. So I don't know if this is kind of his last thing or not, but, hmm. uh, Bruce Cordero is leaving it, but he will be at Space City Con as will Miranda Horner, editor, and several other folks involved with, uh, D&D Next. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like another one bites the dust as far as like D&D Next goes, right? You know, we, we, yeah. we've seen more and more like, you know, epic developers kind of fall off the wayside from that product. So seems right. to just be spiraling the bowl. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. 
I mean, there's still some good people there, but I don't know. It's this whole weird corporate ownership and design thoughts, and so we'll see what happens with that. I'm kind of curious about it. We also, also got Gen Con. Gen Con, yep. Uh, yep, uh, that's the same thing I was going for. Gen Con's coming up soon. That's always a big one in the RPG world. Yeah, Numenera's going to be released. Actually, and if you were a Kickstarter person or want to pre-order, the PDFs come out August 1st, uh, nice. and they're going to be the hardbacks are going to be there. 13th Age, I believe, is finally going to be released. Uh, again, if you bought the early editions, you, you, you have the PDFs already, but the actual physical edition should be coming out. But And those two are two of the ones I'm really looking forward to. Uh, also, Shadowrun Returns is going to be out there as well. The new, or not Shadowrun Returns, Shadowrun 5th Edition. So the new edition of Shadowrun is there as is coming out at the same time as well. So yeah, this is a big time in the RPG release world. And those are three RPGs I'm actually very excited by. Um, I'm very much looking forward to to all of those. Uh, I was a backer on Kickstarter uh, on Kickstarter for Numenera and a backer um, for Thirteenth Age, and so I'll be getting those uh, at some point when they come in in the next couple weeks. But yeah. So looking forward to those. The the they look like they're going to be really interesting. Let's uh let's shift gears a little bit here because I think we're just about done with con news. Um, RPG. Let's talk about some RPG stuff for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily we've shifted gears with our tabletop stuff. We've stopped playing War of the Burning Sky because I think we all got really tired of that campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I got tired of running it, and now you guys got tired of playing it because the Fire Forest seemed to drag on the forever. Fire, the Fire Forest killed that campaign. It really yep. did. I think that was a really poorly uh, written module, and I know Carlos, you and I have talked about it a few times, and it mm-hmm. was that guy's first attempt at doing a module. I asked you to take a look at it after we'd finished playing it. Yeah. And have you had a chance to take a look at it? I have, and I gotta say that, uh, you really did streamline it <laughs> from what it actually was too, which is kind of scary. Isn't that because, just like, when you yeah. read it, don't you see just how like, full of, of just place. freaking yeah. taffy it is? They just yeah. like try and stretch it as much as possible, and it's, you're, you're right, I did cut out a ton of shit to try and streamline it, streamline it for you guys. If I would have played it as is, it would have taken us like, an extra like thirty percent of the time that it, it took this to run as I you know, ran it. Right, and it was weird because in some ways I got the sense that they want he wanted to be sandboxy, which is fine, but it also was railroady at the same time. So it was just everything. It was yes. just all over the place and different. You had to look, go flip it back and forth to do the same stuff. It was yeah, it's been a long time. And the, and the forest ended up being like the size of a matchstick. It was it was like yeah, after yeah. you get cuz you get this sense that the forest is huge cuz it takes you days right. and days and days to get out of. And once you get done with that module, like the next module you go to, the fire forest looks like a little little tiny blip on your radar and you're like right. what the hell did yeah. I spend so long well, in there for? Yeah, every single one of us looked at that and went, "Oh yeah, that forest is huge." And then you go, right. "No, no, that wasn't the forest. This is the forest right here." And you're like, "No, where?" And you and then you zoom in the map and we'd be like, "Right, uh, oh, right." And it really okay. deflates the impact of that last module. And then every single one of us says, "Well, why didn't we just go to the ocean and and right. take a boat around? That's what we wanted to do." I know, but, and then because well, part of that was I screwed up where you were supposed to go. You guys are actually on the right track, and and I I. I it was like ages ago. I, I I accidentally said the wrong city, and that kind of set the whole track for the wrong area. But even then, like when we got to Sequin and started doing all that stuff, that was just another mess that we were dealing with, and it wasn't. It, it started like unraveling from there again, just like more, uh, just like the the fire force was. So I was more interested in running our boat in our hotel than right. I was in anything our, in else. Our <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And I was willing to, to go with that. It was just like, I was starting to feel the campaign just like grind down to a halt, and I just was not interested in trying. I was not interested in trying to make it work anymore, mm. right? Because I was having yeah. to do a lot of effort to rewrite stuff. I mean, you probably noticed, Carlos, that a lot of the stuff I, I ran and, and yes. it was not the same because I was trying to, like you said, streamline it, make things work with you guys, and I was tired. I don't like to run modules and have to do... I, I, I don't mind doing some rewrites to make it work. I don't like having to like completely overhaul it to make it make sense and shit. So. Right. I agree. No. I, I, so we dumped that, and we decided to play our first... Because um, we've been having fun with Pathfinder Society, we decided to run our first... Uh, Pathfinder Adventure Path. And I was doing some soul-searching, trying to figure out which would be a good one, and I stumbled on Carrying Crown, which is the horror-themed one, and I read a lot of the reviews for it. The reviews are pretty good. Each one is kind of themed, has a, a specific horror theme. Um, I bought The Haunting of Harrowstone, and that was really good. I, I read through it you know, in, in just a few days, and I was like, man, this is, this is a, a well-written adventure path, and the experience is not just for killing creatures. They give you a lot of experience for connecting the dots and doing some critical thinking and figuring stuff out. So I wanted to, now that we're done at that first module and we're already on to Trial of the Beast, what were your impressions of Haunting of Harrowstone? I loved it. I mean, I, I mean, that's the first time I felt like I've gotten into a campaign in a long time where I was really invested. I mean, I'm solving a mystery. I'm, uh, looking for clues. Uh, I wanna, I wanna help save a town. I want, you know, there were so many layers of different things that I wanted to do and accomplish, uh, with that first module. And I just thought, wow, this is, this is neat. This is what I've been looking for for a while. Carlos? Yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, definitely the favorite module I played in a while. Um, really liked the story elements, the thematic elements, the, you know, the ghosts, the, the serial killer ghosts, the, you know, all mm-hmm. of that was just a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I thought it was very successful. I think you did a really good job with running it. And, uh, I thought the, I thought the module itself was quite good. Well, it helps when the modules, A, well written, um, B, uh, has a good, like, you know, Something happens here, so go to page here to understand it, or something happens here, go to page there to understand it, right? If it, if the module's well written to where it tells you where to go for the various things, you know, kind of like a choose your own adventure type of deal, um, and that they try to anticipate what the adventures might do. So every door you get, they're like, here's the strength break DC, here's the thickness and hardness, here's the disabled device, here's if they do that, right? They give you all the different avenues. Oh, if they want to try and climb this area, it's going to be this climb check because it's a smooth wall. They want to try and do this, right? So they give you all the different avenues for what you might try. They were like, um, they warned me, and they were like, hey, your adventurers might try to go directly to the prison. Here's what you do to kind of try and keep them in the town, because if they go directly to the prison, there's a higher chance that they're just going to die because they're not going to be prepared. They're not going to understand what's in the prison, Mm -hmm. right? And so here's how you can kind of keep them interested in the town. Um, and that's a lot to do with the investigation into the restlands, understanding, like, the, the desecration of the monument, you know, trying to figure out what happens there, um, I also read, because the th- great thing Paizo does is they keep uh, message boards for all the different adventure paths, and you can read the advice from the GMs, and that's where I found those little scripts that we read mm-hmm. before the module to kind of right. set the scene, the little prologue stuff, right? So a lot of the GMs have gotten together and write the prologue stuff to kind of, and I feel, at first, like when we read them, it was kind of goofy, but then people started getting into them because they started right. highlighting what was going to happen in the adventure and stuff, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, we've had a lot of fun with that. So 
all in all, I think a the adventure the the adventure path was very well written, and then the support for the adventure path was very, you know, they had a lot of good stuff going. Um, we've so yeah, haunting of Ferristone I think was very good, very well done. The, the haunts themselves were pretty difficult, mm-hmm. and so I think it does kind of require you to have either a cleric or an oracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to get through them, like when you guys first started your your group and you didn't have a cleric, I was genuinely concerned for you guys, because without some divine caster, a lot of those things would be a bit more difficult to get over. Now you guys made very good judicious use of your holy water and your um, haunt siphons, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But without those items, those also would have been a lot more difficult. Right? Yes. So all in all, I think that was really good. Now we've started Trial of the Beast. And I noticed that um, just from watching the Skype, there was a bit more criticism on this one um, for both of you guys. So I just want to get initial impressions from from this next uh, outing into the uh, the adventure path. Well, my feeling was, and and maybe I just have a problem playing a lawful character. I don't know. Uh, we'll figure that out more as I go along. I may have to take a vow of silence as a monk or something just so I <laughs> can be better at playing a lawful character. But I, I felt very hamstrung. Yeah, I, I felt like in the first one, I I was saving a town and I was you know I was helping out all these people and I was solving a mystery and stuff. And I don't feel the same motivation from this one. I feel like I I came to town, I delivered some books, um, I got some money for those books, and oh, and on the side here, this guy is in jail and he probably shouldn't be. But everybody hates him, so um, go figure it out and don't talk to me about it. And I'm like, okay. So I go and talk to this guy about it, and he's like, uh, uh. He doesn't really speak because he can't. I mean, he's, yeah, you know, whatever. And so I'm like, I really don't have great motivation for this. He probably hasn't done this thing, but, you know, so what what am I doing here? Those are all very valid. I, I think the guy who wrote this, it is like well written again. My only criticism was they didn't provide enough maps for the various encounters, so I kind of had to make up maps or find maps. That's my only criticism. They could have included more maps for all the encounters you guys had. I think the guy who wrote this module watches a lot of Law and Order, right? <laughs> and the reason I say that is because the Beast is supposed to be some creature who is wrongfully imprisoned, right? And you, the, the characters are assumed to have a sense of justice or a sense of righteousness to see justice done correctly. And then they gotta become the sort of Briscoe-esque type of investigator to then, or, or hang them high McCoy to go figure out, you know, who is the true, you know, devil or who is the true villain and, and do the investigation in that regard. So, there is a mystery afoot again. Right, just like in Haunting of Ferristone, there is a mystery mm-hmm. taking place, and you guys are slowly piecing it together. But the same sense, and there's also a sense of urgency, but it's not as epic. You're not saving an entire yeah. town. You're trying to save one man from being wrongfully killed, wrongfully, you know, capital punished to the nth degree. Right. Um, to so, the to the point where the town that we're in now is going to hate us for doing it. Well. I, I can't say anything without giving, like revealing. Right. The, the, I mean, yeah. when we find the true culprit, then yeah, they'll they'll be excited for that. But I mean, at this point, at this juncture, I mean, if we, e- even that we're trying to defend this man, and the town hates us. 
Yeah. Carlos, no yeah. I'm sorry. Was, uh, any ahead, Carlos. Yeah. Well, I, I was so, going to say they've always they always hated me because I play a half devil. So but you should be used to being hated. Right. I'm I'm used to being hated. But the rest of the party, uh, go ahead, Carlos. No, what I was saying is, so one, um, from a, a, a kind of meta level, the author of, of this one is Richard Pett. And Richard Pett is, is, is famous as, as a module author for, for writing stuff that tends to be really kind of twisted and horror and scary. And a lot of his stuff is really highly rated, right? He wrote The Skinsaw Murderers of Rise of the Rune Lords. He wrote Carrion Hill, which is a pretty famous, uh, module. He writes for Cobalt Press, uh, Your Whispering Homunculus, which is a, a, a kind of a twisted series that's very popular. So, um, I was expecting to see a little more of that in the module, and we really haven't seen that so far. So I'm kind of, uh, and I, maybe we'll get to that. Um, so we, we will kind of see what happens. Yeah, after saving the town and maybe coming off of that high, this kind of mm-hmm. seems a little anticlimactic at this point. And I imagine it will build, but I, I agree yeah. that that is, that is the case at the moment. Because Haunting of Paris don't really strong start and really strong, you know, ending to a start uh, there. So, uh, and then coming again to being who we, who we are and whatever, uh, also kind of, kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, I mentioned this in our Skype chat. There are a lot. So I said it's a little bit too on the nose Frankenstein for, for, for immersion, I think in some ways, because, mm. uh, it is very Frankenstein. So, and not, not like, so in, of course, I've, you know, we've read Frankenstein and seen Frankenstein and whatever. And, and so I, I, I have a feeling of, I am predisposed, predisposed to think this is a misunderstood monster, right? This creature who is in jail is, is probably not as bad as they, as they are saying. So I'm already making all these assumptions based on it that are entirely out of game. And it's really hard for me to kind of divorce from that, uh, at, at the moment. It, and, and, I, God, how do I say this without giving any, anything away? They do that on purpose, right? They do that on purpose. It's, it's not everything that you think it is. You guys, I mean, I know you guys are trying to like unveil a lot of clues and stuff, but really, you barely scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. There's, well, and the other, go ahead, sorry, go say, ahead. the other thing that's happened is, of course, is that, uh, although my character is not, our character, our stuff are, we have a very lawful party. Yes. And, and that makes it, you know, adventurers are essentially not lawful people, right? We kill monsters and break things and break into things and do all these other kinds of things. So I think some of the things that, uh, we have a very high burden of proof now in order to actually do things that we might have just done otherwise. Um, because so many people are lawful, right? We're traveling with a paladin, we're traveling with lawful folks, we're doing all these other things that, uh, we might not have to worry about in a different composition. So, uh, I think that was being frustrating for a few yeah. people. And, and I so, think you're, you're right. JJ, you know, called it, you know, the high off of saving a town. And, uh, as you're, cause the, the, the second module can't go right into that, right? It, it, right. Also, it would deflate the, the whole purpose. Like, you can't go into the second module like, oh, help, our town's under attack and we need you to save the town. That would be, you know, Yeah, we'd go, we'd go, didn't we just do this? Exactly, right? So, it's kind of damned mm-hmm. if you do, damned if you don't. Just like Hunting a Ferrostone warmed up to that, right? Mm-hmm. To where you started off like attending a funeral for a friend, you know, staying there to, to protect his daughter. All of a sudden, you know, shit starts going really bad in the town, and, you know, uh, the town hires you, and boom, you find out, you know, Harrowstone's completely screwed over and stuff like that. 
just like that was warming up, this one is also warming up. But you're absolutely right. After coming off the high, doing this kind of work seems not menial per se, but not as epic as it is. It needs to warm up again, right? You need to kind of ramp that up again. And that's that's sort of both the benefit and the downfall of doing some of these adventure paths. Because some, you know, these adventure paths are each module, so they're self-contained stories to get you through levels one through four, seven through nine, blah 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 blah. So because they're self-contained, there'll be that kind of three arc story, and then mm-hmm. once that's done, you got to move on to another three arc story, right? And right. so you're kind of riding that wave over and over again. But I will say this: a, they're really good about rewarding players for critical thinking. Right? There's a ton of experience here for player deductions. If the players correctly connect the dots, you get rewarded with experience and loot. Right? So they want you to think about what's happening. They want you to think about the story. They want you to think about unique ways to uncover the clues. Right? And so I, I try not to drag you guys, you know, pull you by the nose through all that stuff. Right? And so I let you try to connect the dots on your own. And then if I feel you're missing something critical, I'll be like, all right, roll me something, right, to see if you, you get another clue, right? Because I don't want you guys to I don't want you guys to feel like I never gave you the opportunity to get key stuff because I was requiring of you to think on your own because I think that would also be unfair, right? Yeah, I think one thing that's kind of frustrating, too, is uh, you find stuff that is beyond your level, like, just like with the, the Speak With Dead spell, you know, we we're one level away from having that, and we have all these things that we could really use right now for that. And it's, to me, it just is, that becomes frustrating because I know, I know there's a clue there. I know there's a part of the mystery that could be solved there and I just can't do anything about it. Yeah, but I mean, no one's stopping you from buying a speak with dead scroll. It's true. No, no, that's true. No, you know, it's loot discussions are going to. Well, be yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, true. from my perspective, that is the only downfall of this whole thing. Loot, because it is the module comes with preordained loot, and and you adjust depending on how many players you have. But the loot discussion is probably the most intense loot discussion we've had in a long time. Yeah, that's frustrating me because I tried to start that two weeks prior just to get it out of the way, and yeah, it it reared its ugly head the day before, and didn't stop. And now we've got spreadsheets and, you know, yeah. Excel freaking, you know, algorithms and stuff to calculate, so. But yeah, all in all, so far going really good. We've hit kind of a little bit of a bump with um, the Trial of the Beast, but I still think it's going really strong and it's just adjusting to the new story and, and getting nope. the, the characters. And like I say, I, and, and I want to, and like I said, you know, if it is Frankenstein's monster, I want to find Frankenstein at some point because there's going to be more story involving Frankenstein. For so, sure. Yeah. It, it will be so. It will <laughs> be so. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think that's all my big RPG coverage. Um, you guys got anything from a, uh, a pencil and paper RPG perspective to talk about? Well, the one thing uh, I, I go ahead. One thing I wanted to talk about was the Star Wars, the new Star Wars RPG. Oh yes. We uh we had a week where you and and I and Carlos uh all got to sit down and play the basic version of it, and uh, everything was going really well until we got to space combat, because uh, that's about the same time you really learn how to manipulate your dice pool and learn how to mm-hmm. do that. 
And uh, I think we all came to the conclusion once we got to space combat that you know, this game is all about selling thousands of dollars worth of dice. Yes. <laughs> and we all That's kind the of only way. And we all just kind of deflated. I mean, I, I deflated. I was like, I was so excited about this. I mean, I read through the module. I downloaded another module to play through in, in case we wanted to, and it was really fun. And I was so excited about it because I'm such a big Star Wars geek. And, yeah. man, I just instantly deflated when we got to the that space scene, and it was taking us five minutes to figure out our dice pool and who gets what dice and who mm-hmm. who gets dice subtracted and stuff. And, I mean, if we didn't have the apps, then, I mean, we would have had to have, like, four more sets of dice at $15 right. a piece or whatever it is. So, um Star Wars to me is kind of a fail. I really do like Fantasy Flight games, uh, you know, uh, made by Fantasy Flight, and I think this one was just just a miss for me. So I think we should define that a bit more. So they still use polyhedral type dice, but the the dice have special symbols to be more sort of um, white wolfy in that they're kind of a pass fail type system, mm-hmm. right? And so. Certain dice add certain, you know, additional pass-fail dice to, to, you know, give you more additional successes. And then if you get so many successes, you can do, like, tricks and stuff like that or extra actions. Um, and and the, the, it really kind of came across as a money grab, like, oh, in order to play this game, you have to use Star Wars dice. Right? You can't use the dice that you've been using all the, your, these years. You know, I've still got, like, my original RPGA dice from 10 years ago that I use sometimes. Can't use those. Got to use the Star Wars dice. Oh, and a standard pack of Star Wars dice costs fifteen bucks, right? Yeah. Right. And so, and then they don't cover all the dice you'll need because you can get uh, like tons of like extra bonus dice and stuff like that. So, yep. It 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 really and then you're absolutely right. The sheer amount of work we had to do just to calculate what our dice pool was for any given action in space combat was absolutely ridiculous. Yep. And and it really detracted from the gameplay to where we were no longer doing a game about space combat. We were doing a game of figure out how many freaking dice you got to roll. Right. right? Yeah. And, and when your when your game switches focus like that, it's a failure. And so, so. so so we should say that the we were playing basically the beginner box set, and so it is possible that now that the rules have actually been officially released, which they came out early this month that they are different, and we haven't really seen them so much. I flipped through it a little bit at the store, but not enough to tell if that was, uh, you know, if it was in any way fixed. And I don't know if, you, if either of you have had a chance to take take a look deeper at that. No, I, I haven't had a chance to look, but I, I I find it hard to believe that they would have changed that drastically. Yeah, I, I flipped through it as well, and the conclusion I came to was that the pictures are very similar. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they had the art. Back when, so yeah, I'm kind of curious to see what the reviews are going to be um, for that now that it's come out, and I haven't really seen any good in-depth reviews for it yet, which is kind of surprising. Yeah. But it's an expensive book; it's a $60 book. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's big, but it's not something that I'm just going to like go to the store and pick up, right? So uh, I'm going to wait to see kind of what uh, what the what the sense is. And of course, you don't get Jedi stuff yet, or you don't get some of the other advanced things yet. You're not going to get those till the third book. So, um, you know, we'll see how, how it goes, keeping an eye on that. Yeah. Any other RPG news? Carlos, do you have something? Uh, 
like I said, uh, looking forward to a lot of the Gen Con releases. 13th Age, Numenera. Um, I think Paizo is going to be coming out with their Mythic stuff also at uh, Gen Con. So the new Mythic adventure stuff is coming out. Uh, and they, it's, you know, similar to Epic related stuff for, for, like they did Epic for D&D, except the Mythic things can be added at any level. So it's like a, it's a, 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 like another system that can be added to, um, to, to your characters. So you, you get these things called mythic powers and they have this other way of tracking, you know, mythic levels and mythic powers and stuff like that. It looks kind of interesting. Um, the next AP is going to be called Wrath of the Righteous and it's going to be going into, you know, the good people inv- invading or doing something with the world wound, which is this big on, on their world of Galarian is where the demon invasion is coming from and there's, you know, people trying to block it and stuff like that. So the next AP is going to be all about that and kind of integrating the mythic adventures with that. Um, so yeah, looking forward to all that stuff coming out and Shadowrun because I'm having such fun with Shadowrun Returns. The other thing I wanted to mention is, um, so you've seen the, the, the humble bundles before, right? There are these things where you can pay money and, uh, to this, ch- to a charity site for the humble bundle and companies work with them and, and offer their games for sale and the amount you, and you donate a certain amount and you get stuff for free, right? Or not for free. You get, you get stuff. Basically it's a pay what you want model for those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you pay a certain amount, you get stuff. And if you pay over the average, you'll get extra stuff. And, uh, and it's usually ends up, you know, and you can divide the money. Some of the money will go to charity. Some will go to the authors and some will go to the site, uh, for, for doing this. And so there's been a lot of really excellent humble bundles for video games, indie games, THQ games, and so on and so on. There's an RPG site <coughs> that started relatively recently that's doing essentially the same thing, which is called bundleofholding.com. And right now, the current bundle of holding for the next, you know, week or so is the bundle of Zobek, which is the, one of the big settings for Cobalt Press, the people that, that I was talking about earlier. And, uh, you know, if you donate to it, you'll learn a lot about, you'll get the Midgard campaign setting, you'll get, a, uh, the Midgard bestiary, which are two of the things that I've contributed to, uh, as well as, like, uh, adventure things, uh, the Streets of Zobek Adventure Guide, uh, the Player's Guide to the Crossroads, which is all about the Zobek and Zobek Gazetteer. So it's part of the Midgard setting. Uh, Zobek itself has a little bit more of a steampunkish kind of fantasy. Steampunk isn't really the right word, but it's like fantasy with a dash of steampunk in a lot of ways. Uh, the Free City of Zobek. But all of that is right now, um, yeah, if you donate more than the average, which is, I think, let's see, somewhere, uh, it's, I think, er, I'm looking to see what it is now. Um, $18, I guess. Uh, you'll get all of that. 20, which is kind of cool. 2211. You have a more recent thing than I do then. Yeah. So there you go. We don't need more than that. You can get all those PDFs, uh, for that donation and, you know, uh, and support the charities that, 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 uh, Wolfgang is supporting and, um, yeah, all that other stuff. So that's cool. Very awesome. Alrighty then. Let's see. Do we have anything else? I think we've really hit uh, most of the... Yeah, I think we've heard, we've hit the big things. Next time, so one of the things that I promised to talk about in the past that I, that we didn't get to in this returning thing, but I will next time is, uh, Games Workshop and their kind of trademark Space Marine battle. So I will talk about that sometime. Ah, uh, yes. The other thing, the other similar thing, well, similar in this kind of copyright world thing is that Amazon is starting to sell fan fiction. 
and uh, we'll talk about I'll talk about that in the future as well. We should probably talk about how that's you know fan fiction is becoming more mainstream with the whole Fifty Shades of Grey and the um, City of Bones mm-hmm. thing, right? You know the, these these fan fictions are being redone to become like their own things and are actually becoming really popular now. I think that's sort of the rise of we're we're seeing the legitimization of fan fiction stuff now. Yep. So. so. All right, we will talk about that uh, next time. All right. Um, as always, you can find us online at comingoutofthebasement.com. Um, uh, you can find us on Twitter at COTB1. Uh, I usually run the Twitter. I don't. Do you even have the password for the Twitter account, Carlos? No. I think you prefer it that way, don't you? Uh, yeah. It depends on how many yelling matches I get into with Kevin Smith, I think. So. Joy, don't talk about a Fight Club. and uh, you can email us at uh, podcast at comingoutofthebasement.com we do encourage um, fan interaction if there's anything you want us to cover um, any news you'd like us to you know weigh in on or something like that please reach out to us we're always um, very eager to hear from uh, fan reaction to stuff and um, I think we can look forward to JJ coming to guest host a lot more indeed we'll try not to stay away uh, for quite so long Although, of course, you know, stuff is going to be happening soon. But we will try. JJ's going on vacation. I'm having a baby. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. It all happens. Yep. Yes. All right. And that'll be it for it. Take it easy, guys. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening, everyone. And good night.